Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sam Roberts and I'm joined today by... Andy Kelly. Phil Savage. And Chris Thurston. Oh, me and Chris have never been in a podcast together. So wow. this is... Uh, well, well, we were on Crate and Crowbar once, Chris's podcast. But That's not true, is it, Sam? No. I'm just going to move on. Um, <laughs> so uh, we... Uh, it's summer and nothing's really coming out. So we thought instead of talking about Inside again for the third week running and GTA Online for, I don't know, the fourth or fifth time, we're going to do something a bit different. This week we have... Well, next week, actually... We have the PC Gamer Top 100 issue coming out uh, on Thursday the 28th. Uh, it's voted for by the global PC Gamer team across US, UK, and Australia. And uh, Sean, basically, in Australia. <laughs> US, UK, and Sean. <laughs> uh, a continent unto himself. Um, and uh, yeah, so we want to talk a bit about the process of that. Like, we're not going to give away what's in there. Like, um, subscribers will be getting their copies, like, today or tomorrow in the UK. And in the US edition, they'll get those, uh, I think, probably within the next week or two as well mm-hmm. um so yeah what we're going to do is uh for the for the top 100 each writer picks their top 15 games and then they all get fed into like a, a master list and the order is determined by a very clever algorithm <laughs> yeah oh, so clever yeah you'll never figure it out <laughs> but we use a weighted numbering system <laughs> and uh yeah so um and then phil uh along with tyler oh. wilde in the u.s go on to a very sweaty skype call that goes on for ages and um determine a final 100 list phil, uh, chris did that last year i did yeah and uh yeah and it, we get a very good result at the end of it that represents what we are uh, about i suppose as writers it's worth stressing this is the pc gamer top 100 so it's yes. our as a collective team sense of what the best pc games of all time the yes. fact that it is also objectively correct is yeah. neither here nor there. That's yeah. a happy accident uh, yeah. of our correct opinions. <laughs> and the good thing is that like, the internet completely gets what it's about. That's, yeah. that's it... always good every year how they look at that and go, well, I respect your opinion, even though I have some disagreements. Yeah, yeah. I unambiguously understand what you're trying to do with this and appreciate that you tried, they often comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. I could make my own list where it would channel my views, but because your views are correct, there is no need to do so. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that was like uh, the most upvoted comment last year, as yeah. I understand mm. it. Um, anyway, uh, hilarious, DJ, japes aside. Um, we've each picked five games from our top 15 selections that we're going to talk about and uh, just discuss why we put them on the list to begin with. So I'm going to go round. Gonna... Also worth pointing out, these aren't the top five necessarily from our own personal lists. In fact, some of these games may not have made it into the top 100 at all. No, but we just want to talk a bit about the process of choosing them, I guess, yeah. and like um, and what those games mean to us. And uh, each one, I think, um, kind of represents uh, the writer in question to some extent, uh, except mine. The mine are a bit boring. Um, <laughs> oh, no, they're okay, actually. Yeah, they're all right. That's fine. Um, <laughs> what we'll do is then we'll start with Chris, then we'll go round. Okay. Um, so, Chris, um, on your list, not yep. saying where it was on the list, but the original Mass Effect was on there. The original Mass Effect, which I can... Also, I guess Mass Effect has been on, on my list of top 15 like every year that I've done a top 100, which is now five of them. Oh, man. And... You must want to kill yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> don't, though. Don't. You know. Well, I mean, after this much time, I now have correct opinions and I figured them out. But I think <laughs> one of the things that has changed is that I always vote for the first Mass Effect game above the others. Uh, which some people might think is wrong, but they are wrong, I confess. <laughs> uh, don't, don't you normally vote for Mass Effect 3 as well? Yeah, I go, well, my order for the series goes 1, 3, 2, which is I know is... is controversial. It's controversial. <laughs> the reason for picking the first Mass Effect game is... Um, well, the first thing is I think it's the most kind of complete Mass Effect game from start to finish. One of the reasons I'm excited about Andromeda, actually, is it's a chance for them to do a whole kind of story that is in, you know, bound to sort of play into part of a trilogy anything else but also 
you know, Bioware, I think, has traditionally struggled with endings. And I, I mean, I'm not one of the people who thinks the end of Mass Effect 3 was a disaster, because I actually quite liked it in its original form, and I like it now that it's been changed a bit. But um, there was a golden era for, for Bioware around Mass Effect 1 and another game, Dragon Age Origins, um, when they got final acts, like, bang on. And I can't really think of another game in my history of playing RPGs where I felt as, like, excited through the final act of a game where the final act of Mass Effect 1 basically starts with you stealing the Normandy and running away from the Citadel to chase Saren and ends with you running up the side of the inside of the Citadel with a huge Reaper ahead of you. All of that stuff and the space battle and everything else is is brilliant and it keeps escalating on on the, you know, on the stakes until a really great ending, I think. And they haven't pulled that off every time in my opinion. Like I think it's much stronger than the end of Mass Effect 2 certainly. And that's why I keep celebrating it. The other thing is that that was such a big imaginative leap for them in creating this whole new universe. And in kind of establishing the conversation wheel, action game with heavy RPG elements structure that essentially, you know, was so widely imitated that you can kind of put a pin in it as like a big moment when RPGs changed and successfully hybridized with shooters and, mm. and created a, a big sort of epochal shift in how stories were told in games as well. Hmm. Interesting. Um, like I, uh, I, I really enjoyed the original Mass Effect, but I, I do think that the suicide mission uh, in Mass Effect Two is a very strong finale. And like, um, for, for me, I, I, I get what you're saying about the spectacle of the uh, finale to Ma- the original Mass Effect, which I've not played since launch now. But like, um, yeah, you know, it's they're, they're both great games, um, mm. and they uh, Mass Effect is one step along, uh, one step foot closer to becoming what Bioware games are now. Yeah, um, which you're not too happy about or no you've... i mean i like their work now I mean, right I'm, and i you know I, I think they made a brilliant decision with that stuff and made it work brilliantly and actually to be honest, the only company that's successfully sort of iterated on it and kept making it work yeah i think um what but about it's sorry so, i was gonna say like um the mako then like uh that's obviously a, a strong part of uh it's it's a divisive part of uh mass effect it's, i guess i mean i'm a big fan I'm a big fan of what they try to do with the open world stuff, although I also appreciate why they cut it. But I think that's the other reason that I love that first game so much is it's it's much more ambitious in a lot of ways than the subsequent ones. Like Mass Effect 2 and 3 learned a lot from, in good ways, from Gears of War and Halo and a few other you know sort of more modern shooters about how to build and structure, particularly the Gears of War series actually, about how to build and structure an action game. And then they pinned what was already working to that. Yeah. But they kind of gave up on a lot of the vaunting ideas that never quite worked. And I kind of get why. Like, I get why they gave up on the idea that no guns would need to reload. And I get why they gave up on the idea of loads of different ammo types and extensive inventory management for all mm. of your characters and so on. And I get why they gave up on the idea of full open-world tank exploration in a game that also had detailed interiors because the technology wasn't really up to it at the time. Yeah. But I will always admire the original game for ha- trying to do so much. Whereas I think... Obviously, the production values of the subsequent games are much higher, but they also give themselves less to do. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I've got a soft spot for that kind of mad ambition. Well, I definitely think there's some merit to um, the Mako. Um, like, and 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 it is some. There is something missing from the second and third games in terms of like how you uh, experience discovering a new place in that, yeah, in that yeah. uh, universe, and like they do lose something from that. Even while, even while I think the Mako on some levels was a little bit of a failure. Like, um, yeah, the feeling of exploring a, a new world. Obviously, they realise there's something left to go back to for that because Andromeda seems to feature that as, a, as a key more part. More evocative than a radar scan on a planet. 
to launch probe yeah which is yeah gets tired quite quickly even um, if even if you do find 25 war score <laughs> as important as that can be yeah for sure okay interesting well uh good well um there's another mass effect uh conversation to come so uh we'll we'll, we'll come to that in uh due course i'm sure but um phil moving on to you kerbal space program is was on your top 15 list yeah why kerbal space program because uh, it's a very good game yeah it's one of the highest probably, rated of yeah, last year right? um, which i also reviewed so yeah that, that was my fault but it got the canonical top score for pc gamer uk uh 96 is as high as we've gone as a publication US has gone to 98, but they really liked Half-Life, so fair enough. <laughs> uh, Kerbal Space Program, I think, uh, I mean, if you look at some of the other games that got 96%, it's Spelunky, Minecraft. Uh, Minecraft, certainly, Kerbal Space Program fits into that kind of very open-ended possibility space where the only real restriction is sort of a mix of, well... Partly your imagination, uh, more than in Minecraft, your ability also comes into it because I don't want to say there's more of a game in Kerbal, but there's kind of more of a game in Kerbal. It's mm. very much like, you know, it's a physics driven rocketry sandbox where, you know, you have to, you have clear objectives, but those clear objectives are sort of naturally occurring throughout the galaxy. There, there's a moon there and we should go and explore it because that would be cool. Um, and doing that is, a very kind of you know it's a it's a challenge that is kind of an incremental step up from what comes before like getting in space uh getting into a stable orbit around your planet and then the moon and then the next thing and each of these are nice incremental challenges that kind of broaden your understanding and that's really interesting because it's not like there's nothing really gamified about that it's just it's what our galaxy is um these series of milestones across, you know, expanding out from our planet. But that also, coincidentally almost, is like a really good piece of game design. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, I've, not, I've never really played Kerbal in much depth, and I really should. Um, yeah, like uh, your, your review is, uh, I think, one of the finest we published <coughs> last year, for sure. It's, and, um, uh, thank you. Yeah. But it, it's, it can be tough to get into. Um, I'm still not like convinced the tutorials are they're very sort of dry kind of pointing you into things you can do but without wanting to give the game away too much mm. um most of that is mo most of sort of what Kerbal is is being prepared to fail and being prepared to try things and learn from what you do and i think it makes failure funny enough um that's part of like the kind of these these bumbling cartoons that it, that it makes its lead characters the Kerbals. Like their expressions, their kind of idiotic grins of everything that happens, even the bad stuff. Like I've had a guy in my like ongoing campaign who's been stuck orbiting the moon, not in a spacecraft or anything, just free form floating <laughs> for about two years now. <laughs> and he's happy as Larry up there. He's having a great time. Is there any way you can get him down? Like if you can you could. Would it be very yeah, no, hard? No, I to, absolutely yeah. could. I probably should at some point. Um, <laughs> if he's having a good time, but I'm not I wouldn't quite, want to ruin it for him. I'm still not quite good enough to really do it because <laughs> the precision involved would be yeah. yeah. It's, um, 
to do it and out without killing him would be quite a task and i will try it at some point we'll but... do a diary feature about it that's okay. what we'll do and uh, yeah look out, look out for he, that <laughs> he got stuck up there in my first diary feature for gamer about kerbal so, <laughs> so maybe it's time to go back to that well and it's like the dangling plot thread from yeah the first movie. <laughs> people have been there for two years like and the what sequel, happened the sequel to apollo 13 where they go back up to find i know larry that they left behind <laughs> <in> the <movie. laughs> amazing all right then cool um so andy moving on to you we've got 80 days yeah, uh, the uh, Inkle uh, developed uh, writing heavy uh, choose your own adventure game, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Vernum Up. Yeah, Vernum Up. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. It's yeah. one of the most recent ones on the list, isn't it? Uh, fairly yeah. recent. It came out last year, hmm. although it was uh, based mobile on a much older mobile, mobile yeah. game. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like interactive fiction, I guess. Um, or choose your adventure to use what people used to call interactive fiction yeah. when it was on paper. Um, yeah, I've played it so many times, both on PC and on my phone. Um, every time I go on a train now, I play it. It's like there's something about being moving and playing that game that is just perfect. Um, not so much on a plane; it's just got to be a train for some reason. Um, so it's kind of, um, it's as the name suggests, you have to get around the world in eighty days. But that's less important than the name suggests. Um, really you won't get around in 80 days your first few tries or maybe even like your first 10 tries because it can be quite difficult unless you take certain short, uh, shortcuts which uh, the more you play the game it opens up different sort of routes around the world um, but it's basically it's kind of like part management so you're managing you play as a valet to Phileas Fogg so along the way you have to trim his moustache and polish his shoes and keep him you know keep him gentlemanly yeah see um, I, I i was um for a while calling him his fluffer <laughs> <I realized>. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not what that's he not is no that's, no that's, that's another of, thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry you better what route you take yeah yeah that's in the secret sexy <laughs> route that yeah inkle didn't no longer speak of um so yeah, it's kind of the, there's a bit of uh, management, there's a bit of strategy, and sort of managing your funds and uh, choosing which modes of transport to take, um, choosing what's in your inventory. Like if you've got certain items in your inventory, you might get a cheaper route or a different route. So it's like that's the cool part of it, but that's the least interesting part of it for me. The main part is that it's just a brilliantly written bit of like literature, you yeah. know. Yeah, I love that the uh, the art just with like one image can convey like uh, an entire location. You know, yeah, combined with the writing, it's yeah, really, the art's yeah. really minimal, but the writing is the anything but like it's super rich and evocative, and you can't help but sort of get swept up in in the journey. And um, you know, the, every route throws up a different bit of misfortune for uh, you and Fog. Um, always, there's always something goes wrong. So if you think, well, I'm going to get, you know, there's a neat, there's a there's a quick straight line route across, you know, the Atlantic. I'm just going to take that hovercraft, and then along the way you get, you know, stuck and suddenly find yourself in the middle of a murder mystery. Someone will get murdered on the on the boat or whatever, and you've mm. got to solve it. Um, or something will break down, and you'll get kidnapped, or you you know you get teleported into the middle of the desert, which happens at, at one point. So there's it's kind of like a it's set in a version of Victorian England, but with a sci-fi, maybe slightly steampunky twist. So a lot of the vehicles you take are kind of um, sort of automated self-walking um, pangolins and stuff like that. It's yeah. like really, really weird stuff. That you, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And by the way, the horses are robots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the you know you you cross the channel and uh, the train like goes underwater and stuff. So so it's very like 
yeah, it's very it, it takes the original story and gives it a kind of more sci-fi twist. Um, but yeah, it's just really well written. Uh, Passport to the main character. By the end of it, he sort of goes on a bit of a personal journey as well. I really like. By the end of it, he he's no longer this sort of like cap in hand, you know, slave to a posh English gent. He sort of becomes, he grows into himself and be- and becomes, you know, a new person. That's great. You know, so it has everything that a great book has, but with the option to, you know, uh, have it with a bit of management, a bit of semi systemsy stuff to play with and just yeah, lots lots of different outcomes. Hmm. And it doesn't matter if you don't get around in eighty days, like that's not important. And I kind of like when you don't because fog gets so depressed and hmm. you've got to start like keeping his mood up and stuff. You've got to really trim his mustache then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's what's funny actually when some of the bits where you get stranded somewhere in a desert or in the Arctic, you've just got every every just got to keep trimming his mustache. There's a button you press, it's a comb, and it just does various things from like starches his collar. So you're just like in the middle of like a, a life or death situation, you're just like using your last ounce of strength to just tr- brush his mustache, yeah, <laughs> to keep his um, to keep his mood up because he can die, and you can like you can you know you can fail before you even get around. But yeah, it's, it's just I think everyone everyone should play it if you like story led games, if you like sort of strategic management type games. To some degree, um, yes, yeah, and I think it's the best written game on PC. I can't think of any game that's story-wise drew me in as much. Hmm. Cool. You mentioned you have to play it on trains and stuff. Does the sort of inventive fantasy of that world not really highlight the squalor and despair of a great western? To <laughs> yeah, London? yeah. When you're on the Orient Express and it's you're surrounded by finery, and then you're on a a dis- depressing tube of fluorescent surrounded lit. by single parents yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just got to keep grooming your own moustache and you just keep, yeah. you comb bring a tiny comb yeah. <laughs> yeah there's no there's no one sitting drinking a can of beer at 9am on the Orient Express I'd love to play a, a mod of 80 days that did that though <laughs> oh, that's, that, I'm going to have to get I'm going to have to load up twine and make a, a modern much. equivalent yeah. of uh, 80 days 80 minutes <laughs> the bath to London <laughs> yeah. yeah get to Didcot Parkway Kicking off because they're trying to get their bike onto the 913. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do that. That's a funny idea. That is a good idea, yeah. This is how great jokes are made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> into chipping them when a stag pie gets on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Or you see a pair of boobs like me and Chris did. Was that chipping them? Oh, no, that was at um, Bradford on Avon, wasn't it? Yep. Yes, it was. Yeah, we yeah. were flashed by Hendu and it was traumatic. Um, okay, we were so, so shocked. We looked at our feet for about a full five minutes. We were wearing suits and we looked at each other aghast. It this was, was after uh, PC game to John Strike's wedding. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Very good boys. Anyway. Yeah. So, so put that in the game. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, from my list, I've got FTL Faster Than Light Advanced Edition, um, which I've talked Origins. about quite a lot in the magazine. If you read mm. that, like uh, it's uh, for many of the same reasons that Andy likes Eighty Days. I I like this actually. Obviously, it's not quite as story heavy as that, um, but it you're basically it's a roguelike where you're going through eight different sectors while on the run from these bad guys in spaceships whose names I can't remember. I can't remember if they're aliens or humans. I think they're they're called humans. the Federation, aren't they? Yeah, that's it, yeah. So they're evil humans and you're on the run, basically. Um, and, uh, yeah, along the way, you encounter all kinds of situations, like um, you'll, you'll reach like a prison uh, ship with loads of slaves on it, and you choose what to do. If you attack the ship, you might kill the slaves, but if you save the slaves, then you might get a free crew member and feel good about yourself. Um, and there's uh, an element, a strong element of uh, strategy to it as well in terms of managing your ship, upgrading your weapons, upgrading your shields and things like that. And I love it because it's um, it's it's a game I, I realised when it came out I'd always wanted, which was that sort of like um, Star Trek-esque, if I could manage a ship and make decisions in these 
uh, weird foreign scenarios, how would I react? And um, it's incredibly effective. Like there's not actually uh, in, in terms of the amount of words loads of writing in it but the, the writing in there is very effective it's the dude who did the writing in uh, driver san francisco which i think people like the story of that uh, he's done a bunch of games since then including um that one that crow team made that i can't remember talos principle talos principle tom g but yes i am yeah, yeah. um so yeah I'm, I'm a i'm a big fan of that i i I've probably seen everything in it slightly too many times now to enjoy it as much as I used to, but I, I always put it in my top 100 list because I just I just feel like anyone who discovers that for the first time, it's it's worth having it in there just in mm. case someone's thought about trying it and never has because um yeah it's uh, it's it's wonderful, yeah um cool all right move on to the next game then uh, unless anyone has any questions to me about FTL I think everyone's played uh, that to death yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm the only one I think I haven't, hasn't played it so. really you should yeah. play it you really like it. yeah it's your sort of thing I think yeah. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe I will now, having heard that. It's also that. maybe worth pointing out, it, it was a sort of early Kickstarter success story, FTL, yeah. as well, because mm. they kickstarted it just a bit to finish it, did so on budget, and released it, and it was brilliant. Yeah, and the art and music are amazing as well, mm. which do uh, do a lot of the um, heavy lifting when it comes to world building. Um, so, yeah, good stuff. Uh, okay, Chris, next on your list is EVE Online. So, on the spaceship theme that's readily emerging as yes. we go around the room. Apparently. Um, so, I put EVE on my list, actually, for the first time this year, because even though I don't play it anymore, I, I played it a bit, but I've never been massively into it. It feels like this is me putting a game on the list because I feel like it should be yeah. there. Yeah, it's, it's and, reassuring seeing it on the list. Yeah, and there's and in part that's because a couple of months ago I read um, a book by Andrew Grown, I think he mm. his surname called like History of the Great Empires of Eve Online or is it Empires at War, isn't it? It's yeah, called. something like yeah. that. I've I've got a copy yeah, in, my, in my drawer which I've not Star read. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's called. A, no, it's not Empires at War. That, not, that's that a, is a Star Wars yeah. game. No, <laughs> I've it, got a copy in my drawer, and I, I've not read it yet. It's a history of the Great Empires of Eve Online. Is yeah, yeah. Which I see any part yeah. of the name I remember, but so that's desperate and professional of me. But anyway, <laughs> um, but that's a, you know it's, it's a pretty good book, and it's an exciting account of the, the sort of early years of politics in Eve. And there's a nice. I mean, the, the, maybe the the book uh, protests a little bit too much at the start in terms of saying you know Eve is real history. It's not just stuff what happened in a, in a computer game it's it actually involves I mean a, it is but you know <laughs> but it involves a lot of people and a lot of time and a lot of and a lot of the you know the politics and the themes of it are the same like I listen to a lot of history podcasts it's kind of what I do if I'm just sort of sitting somewhere doing whatever right um, and uh, you know I love history and it's really and Eve is the only game I've heard outside of something specific like an esports community where the stories you tell about how things came to be are probably more to do with historical forces or the, the forces that traditionally act on history than they're to do with game design because mm-hmm. it's such a massive sandbox and it relies so much on its players. It, it is the only MMO that committed wholesale to we're not doing quests and loot tiers and dungeons and stuff. We Everything's made by players and all the challenges are created by players that... Um, that the stories that emerge from it are as much to do with morale and politics and economics as they're to do with, well, today CCP patched something. Even when there are problems with bugs and stuff that cause these calamitous political events. And it, it made me, like, that book made me realize, like, what a kind of fascinating sort of artifact it is of what, of what computers can do because there are moments in Eve's history where entire wars have hinged on a bug or a server problem and where, um, where like fleet commanders have had to learn how to fight in terrible lag, but there's a really nice sort of observation, which is, you might say that like that sort of undermines it somewhat. That yeah, you have these spectacular battles, but they proceed at like a one frame a minute. But actually, it basically for the people who conducted those kind of those those encounters, lag is essentially weather. 
like lag is the space equivalent of you know a fleet engagement during a storm in the 17th century or something mm-hmm. like that and you get all these kind of amazing stories of people who became known as the commanders that could handle lag really well and could get their people through lag and you know and in some cases servers forgetting things or you know people failing to log off in the right places and stuff basically like these acts of god the whole sort of political epochs end and begin with and it's really <laughs> fascinating and i just cannot think of another game that has created that yeah at all like that's a really interesting way of looking at it it's like master and commander when they go through that tempest and they yeah. come out limp out the other Same. end still intact yeah. but we've got some packet loss boys <laughs> yeah. hold on and then like everyone stops <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, no other game has been quite so giving when it comes to uh, creating stories. I mean, I think we've got years and years of uh, new yeah. stories and features out of Eve oh. at this point. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there'll be many more to come, I'm but sure. It's like, belong on the list, I think, just by default. The yeah. reason it's yeah. always worth yeah. going to FanFest, like, you know, the appetite for people reading news from a sort of game, the traditional game point of view, maybe isn't that enormous, that mm. game. But if you go to FanFest, you won't get, like, maybe, you know, big reveal. You get just someone's war stories. Like, you know, just some crazy caper that happened in wormhole space or something like that. or And, and the game just endlessly produces that stuff. And CCP know it as well, and they play up to it and yeah. release press releases and about events. And, yeah, they, they foster it really well, I think. Yeah, totally unique. Like, I, I don't think I would ever, ever again have the time to play it unless I get fired. But I will always read stories about it. Yep. Mm, uh, that book is called Empires of Eve, by the way. That's the close. One. I'll, close give that, I'll give that a read. Um, Thanks, cool. Phil. That's, that's great. And uh, Andy, was that in your list as well, Eve? No, it should have been, though. But yeah, I, I've not put it for years either. But I just, uh, for all the reasons Chris said, I think it, it's, and it deserves to be heralded as one of the best examples of what PC gaming is. is yeah, for sure. Capable of. It is, yeah. It is comforting to see it in the list, um, much as it is with, uh, with WoW, I guess, but much more so because it's obviously such a unique game. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, moving on then to uh, Phil's next suggestion, Hitman Blood Money. Yeah. Um, still the best of the Hitman games as 2016 hasn't really For now, yeah. quite come together yet. Um, still yeah, like, the, I guess there's a very real chance that this will be the last time I vote for Hitman Blood Money because I'm only ever going to vote for one Hitman game. So I'm going to vote for the best Hitman game. And there's kind of a chance the new Hitman could become that. How close do you think they are at this point? Like, so one of the interesting things about the top 100 is it's, yes, it's the best games of all time, but it's the best games of all time f- as viewed from the perspective of now. Yeah, so you, they're some, games you'd play now. Exactly. You, you can't really trade on nostalgia too much because somebody might come to it, see, you know, the original XCOM uh, at some point and it think, oh, I'll buy that because it's one of the top 100 games. And then they'll be looking at that interface and blood will pour from their eyes. They'll look at XCOM 2 and think, why didn't I play this instead? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, to an extent, like, it does favour newer games, and it should favour newer games. Um, I don't think Hitman Blood Money is so old that it's out of contention. Like, it's not, you know, it controls fine. It looks fine. It looks like a game from the mid-2000s. We can deal with that. But uh, um, the new Hitman kind of takes a lot of Blood Money's open-ended, large-level, kind of intricate intricate clockwork system philosophy. This idea that this level is kind of a moving um, diorama of guards and um, NPCs and, and events and things happening, and it's your job to find the crack in that clockwork machinery that you can sort of disrupt it. 
in a very specific way to to turn it sort of to your advantage. Mm. That's kind of always been the pleasure. Like they're very violent games if you actually look at what they're doing, like the way you kill people and that. Okay, but I almost never see that anymore. Like they could have the worst gore and violence on there, and I'd just be seeing the systems playing out at this stage. Yeah, it's kind of the weird things about Hitman as a series, or you just feel nothing as a human being. You know? yeah. yeah, in a way, it's quite a nice marriage of theme and. And subject matter in it. Exactly. Yeah, like the, you are, you are in, in that way, you sort of become the protagonist. You're a very sort of cold, unfeeling observer of events. Mm. Uh, you're there to do a job and to manipulate people. Yeah, it's good like that. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. No. Um, and yeah, um, Hitman follows on in... I wish they hadn't called it Hitman. The new one? Yeah. yeah. Hitman 2016 sort of follows on to that to enough that I think once it's complete in a full package, it might actually be like, okay, well, this is the Hitman experience I would recommend to people. Yeah. But I think Blood Money is st- still worth celebrating, certainly now, certainly before we're like, we, we see what Hitman 2016 is as a full package. Like, it's it's got a very strong theme. It's like different slices of Americana. Some of the levels are like things that have endured in people's memories is like the best hitman levels like the um the the sort of suburban neighborhood uh with the mobster under witness protection that's like a very specific look at a kind of pop culture trope in american fiction um i think blood money was the first time that io really experimented with that idea of actually taking the concept of hitman and bring it in bringing it towards something that's kind of familiar from sort of TV and films actually actually looking at those kind of recognizable scenarios and portraying them rather than just oh here's here's Japan yeah cool and they've sort of gone back to that with Hitman 2016 it is more just here's a place yeah we're doing a thing I, and everyone's has an American voice no matter where yeah, you are. Yeah, like exactly the same people keep coming up as different like the artifice is I mean there could also be as deliberate elements of that, if I'm being generous. Yeah. There's probably not. It's probably a budget thing. But, <laughs> again, a, a lot of what Hitman has done over the years has been very kind of othering. Like, Blood Money's big trick is, like, the way it completely over-sexualizes everything. Yeah. Everybody is kind of a grotesque caricature as a kind of look at how 47 you know the, this main protagonist would view humanity as this kind of grotesque base urge driven kind of selection of people wow That's... uh i guess the hitman 2016's trick is that that one woman who is admonishing her brother in sapienza is also selling a rug in marrakesh <laughs> Great. Well, uh, that's well which know, isn't as effective a trick. Really. Agent Forty Seven is blind to race, nationality, voice, and language, and therefore he everyone, just hears what he wants to hear, and what he hears is how those characters would appear if they were on television. <laughs> that's a very good point. Um, yes, I look forward to seeing how that pans out. Yeah. The um, bonus episode they released this week, uh, sort of along the lines of what I was hoping they do, where they give you more value out of the places they've already built. Yeah, so the money versions, aren't they? Also, yeah. you can murder Gary Busey. And you can marry good Gary Busey. Marry. Yeah, <laughs> That's Sorry. today, isn't it, as we record this? It's yeah. tonight, I think. Oh, there you go. Busey's going live, the press, the Busey button. Right <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, I've seen some gifts of people just murdering Gary Busey the in the Busey street. The button has been pressed. Oh, it's been pressed, yeah. 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 Right, tonight's guess is going down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they should say. In Very good. Freshly. 
Um, okay, cool. Uh, so moving on to Andy's second game, Alien Isolation, which oh, yeah. uh, I was hoping Andy would put on this list because it's Andy's one of Andy's favorite games ever. Spaceship uh, again. Yeah. You reviewed it back in the day. I say back in the day, 2014. Yeah. 93%. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite games too. I wonder if I'd given it, I would have given it more. I said, oh, in hindsight, I only, I only like it more. And I, I replayed it fairly recently and, uh, it was a very different experience because they released a, basically a baby mode uh, called Novice Difficulty, which makes the alien like way less tenacious. And it's a great way of, for a second run, just to enjoy the environment and mm. explore without the stress of having to just get to the exit. That's a really fun way of playing it. Well, I would say only for your second go, though. For your first play, just play on normal yeah. and, and witness the alien as this constant terrifying force, but then replay it on Novice just to enjoy that you know, running around in that amazing, amazing world. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the most recent games that I'd count as like, you know, uh, maybe top five all-time favorite. I, I absolutely love it um, on every level, you know, like as a horror game. I think it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's, uh, you're being pursued by something which has been done in other games, but this is something that feels genuinely, and uh, I say seems here, to be clear, it seems intelligent. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors and AI tricks and maybe the it, it sort of breaks its own rules sometimes to have the alien appear somewhere, you know, like it, it has to do that to construct a sense yeah. of it being, you know. Particularly in the um, challenge mode, like the alien's behavior changes so it, it always gets out of the vent in front of you no matter yeah. where you are. But yeah, and I think that's that's a kind of, uh, some people complained about that inconsistency on a sort of uh, AI level, but I mean... Uh, it is a cinematic you, creature, and, and yeah. this is what, yeah. this is how it's used. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That's what I was yeah. going to say. You don't, you don't want it to be uh, predictable. Uh, you know, you want it to play tricks on you because that's what it does to, to Ripley across all those films. Is it constantly getting the better of her and and tricking her and stuff like that? So in, in that respect, I think it's it can be more faithful to the films. Um, it just it's so polished, and the character movement, the UI switching between items and stuff like that is so polished and 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 just it's one of those games that just feels really refined and on uh, like a lot of playtesting has gone into it um artistically I, I can ask for a more appealing aesthetic for me like that sort of retro futurism thing i just love wandering around looking at all that stuff you sound know. effects as well yeah the sound design and you know and it's really undemanding as well um pc yc can i was when i replayed it, i played it in uh 4k and it just it was so so incredibly beautiful and atmospheric and yeah so the i think i don't think there's one thing i really dislike about it um i even love the bit where it just basically recreates the scene from alien where they find a derelict it just literally recreates that whole scene with new characters um i don't mind that like some people complain about that as like oh it's you know it's lazy but it's i talked to the developers and they said we just wanted you to you know live experience that moment firsthand and i was like well yeah that's definitely you know i want to I've, I've, I think I've played that chapter like so many times just to enjoy that kind of um, yeah that moment of you know finding the derelict and that'd be amazing stuff like that. yeah you that out that'd be like taking out the um, nuke going off in COD four or something like, yeah. you know, I think I think it's a really important sort of like midway point you know yeah some people were like oh they've just recreated the scene from the film there's no imagination in it but that was like the idea it was just to, it was a, a cathartic thing for an alien fan just to enjoy that moment but see it you know through the the helmet of someone in in the ship. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a it, it keeps the kind of variety up as well. I like how there's a section after a really prolonged bit of alien hunting, the alien just fucks off for a bit 
and you can just run around firing your gun for like a good like, hour and a half at you know at the androids and just make noise and it's really that liberating feeling of like i can just run around and make an absolute racket it's really um refreshing but then the alien comes back and you've got to go back to sort of sneaking and being careful and thinking about your actions so i kind of and and sometimes it will take your um, guns away, you know, for a, a section where, you, where you're left with just uh, distracting tools and your own sort of stealth. So I like how it keeps mixing up the formula. Very, later on, it throws in another alien as well, briefly. Yeah, um, it, it never quite though, but yeah. Yeah, just I think just in one section, yeah, where where you go into the the hive, don't you, mm. and the and the power power generator. And that is amazing. That moment. Yeah, and yeah. there's another where you yeah you go into the sort of. The stuff that's the the area that's covered in Geiger <laughs> flesh. Yeah, it's been yeah. hosed down with Geiger. Yeah, um, um, yeah. yeah. It's just it's just it's just brilliant. I I I love it probably more than most people because of my underlying love of Alien, the film. But no, it's yeah. brilliant. It's a brilliant sort of uh, procedural uh, sort of horror game. Like it's uh, yeah, that's stop. You know, yeah, yeah. I think Chris made that point in his very first preview about how it uses like systems. In an interesting way, and it, and and like a for a mainstream game based on a massive movie property to do interesting stuff with systems like that is was really was really uh, you know was welcome. But then I don't think the game sold as much as as Sega anticipated. So maybe no one will try that again. But it just I think it exists as this one-off thing. I mean, a lot of the lead designers now work on different teams because I follow them all on Twitter. And I've been monitoring their movements closely <laughs> to see if the potential of them the ever. Yeah, and they're all they're all in totally different companies. You know, a lot of the people who worked on it are now are still at Creative Assembly, but a lot of them make the leads art leads and even like the guy that did the UI and stuff is they're all in different companies. So I don't think there'll ever be another one game like that. It's one of those singular artifact games that are just I'll you know, remember, a one off. Like- <clears throat> we, we'd heard rumbling, so that's what Creative Assembly were working on, and a few things leaked and stuff like that, because I went to the announcement for it at their offices. And I've never been more excited by a preview of a game. Like it, it stands as the best single reveal of a game I've ever seen. Mm. Like if you've watched an E3 show or anything like that, it's often like that. It's often like we're making this. Here's thirty seconds of CGI B-roll, and and then we're going to just talk about it for a bit. And the isolation announcement began with Al Hope, who's a, I think the creative director, yeah. giving all of the assembled journalists like a 10-minute lecture on 70s science fiction and Alien, just in case anyone wasn't into it. Like, I think for you and me, Andy, it's like, we don't need to know this, we need yeah. to get this. But for anyone who's like, okay, so you've seen you've seen Star Wars and Star Trek and Aliens and everything subsequently, but here's what a Kubrick movie was like, and here's what a yeah. Scott movie was like. Just in case anyone was like, why are all the computers look like yeah. BBC Micros? Also like, yeah. why, isn't, oh, why aren't there so many guns? Where's, yeah. the, where's the adventure and the kind of action? Where's the holographic... Uh, hands up yeah. in silent running. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> have a lecture to attend. Yeah. I, and, uh, yeah, sorry. No, I say that. I uh, no, actually carry on, Chris. Carry on. Um, but then they sort of actually just into a room to play it, and it was mind blowing that, like, especially because for a game it took them that long to make. I went through so many iterations. Mm. Like, it's a yeah. I think you might be right that it's a kind of a miracle success story. It's yeah. like the best licensed game ever made, I would say, or at least yeah. the most successful <clears throat> adaptation of a film to a game because it's a game. Like, it's not a series of cinematics that are a yeah. bit like a film. Mm. It's it's remarkable. Like, really. And they they reunited like like most of the original cast i mean that's crazy as well for two dlc missions which are actually the worst bits of the game yeah I think, you know? they're, they're pretty weak but just the fact that they did that shows that they're kind of uh 
their lavish uh, attention to detail and authenticity is like they just got they got Sigourney Weaver to come back Which as Ripley. Is, it's it's amazing. funny that like Aliens the movie is responsible for basically all games ever. Like every <laughs> yeah. game is Aliens. Um, I don't really mean that, you know, but you know, yeah. it's certainly responsible for the first person shooter as we kind of understand it. It's responsible for Doom and and everything and like yeah this is such an extraordinary thing made out of the the one alien movie that you can't make a game out of yeah and they, yeah. And they managed it i just remember like the uh when I, when I kind of managed to solve a situation in a way that kind of depended on the ai's behavior it's just when um there was like a you're in this big hall and there's like a clump of like three humans walking around and i just fired my pistol and then they were kind of looking around screaming and then i just ran and then the alien just killed all three of them, and by the time that he, you know, that it was done with them, I'd already escaped and got into a vent, and and then it just couldn't find me. And I was yeah, like, you, you get this weird relationship with it where you start to, I mean, I guess like, like yeah, well, like um, even in the films, Ripley starts to feel a weird connection to it. Mm. You do as well, where you start using it as a weapon. You, you just, you know, you throw stuff towards groups of humans and watch as it kills them, and you get you get sort of weirdly fought. sometimes it helps you out of an impossible situation mm-hmm. and that's so that relationship mirrors the film as well where she gets kind of that's weirdly what's crazy about attached to it is. it's like <clears throat> the thing about the ai not being totally predictable like that's the whole thing is like the alien in the movies has a sense that it is intelligent it's not just an animal but it's not intelligent in the way you necessarily understand and you don't always understand it's it's like intention yeah it's so unknowable yeah. which is the totally is what the it should be yeah and and that's true of the game as well to an extent like you don't you get to the sense where maybe you think you understand its mood from its chitterings and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, but um, but you never feel like you fully understand what it's going to do. And like, I mean, that, that reminds me of the, my favorite story about the development of the game, which I think I must have told before, which is the dev mode where the aliens spoke. I told you about this, right? No. When they were developing, oh, you did, they, yeah, needed yeah. To, they needed to be able to like bug test <clears> the AI. So for that reason, testers needed to know what the alien thought was happening. Mm. So it's not enough to go like, "What did it do?" It's like, "Why was it doing that?" Because you know, it's it's substantially unscripted. And so they recorded voice lines, which were just a developer going, "I think I've seen you in the vent." <laughs> and oh, man, are need... you in this cupboard? That's amazing. And they need to have, like that if that's buried in the Free game DLC. somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. That. they said that on the day that the game was revealed, and they said to Al Hope, "Like, please release this <laughs> six months down the line. Release that as DLC." Like, Voiced we, by Gary Busey. Well, we were joking. It should have been Alan Partridge and just call it Alan Isolation. <laughs> So yeah. Okay, cool. What anyway, games? We've gone on. We've gone about. Yeah. No, I just want to like play it again. Twenty more games to talk about. That's cool. All right. Um, so onto another one of my games. Then is uh, Resident Evil Four um, HD Edition, which was released in 2014 as a better version of the PC version of Resi that was released earlier, which was a pile of crap apparently. Yeah. Um, so I've put this in the, in my list because I think it's. Uh, it holds up really well. It's a very influential game in terms of like third person action. Like I don't think games like Gears of War would have quite felt the same without it. Like the over the shoulder aiming and shooting stuff was really influential. But that's not why I <clears> like <throat> it. I like it because the pacing's amazing. Because uh, it has non-stop set pieces and ideas, and it keeps the energy going for like twenty hours. It's it's crazy how they how they did it. Um, it really seemed like lightning in the bowl. They got a uh, creator Shinji Mikami came back to direct that one, which is the first he did since. The Resi remake. He didn't work on two or three, uh, or Veronica. I don't think. Actually, might in my world to Veronica. Yeah, but I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's really a favourite of mine. It holds up very well. Um, the subsequent Resi games aren't quite as good. Uh, I do like five, and um, I like elements of six, but four was just uh, was a spot on action game. You've gotten quite a lot of mileage out of mercenaries over the years as well, haven't you, Sam? 
Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favourite uh, go-to modes. I just, I just enjoy that sort of like horde modeish, um, kill all these guys thing. So I quite like the uh, that they've released Battlefronts offline DLC. I do actually just like you know mainlining bots sometimes because the mm. combat is so satisfying in Resi Four. It's mostly about crowd control. It's that um, that thing of like shoot a zombie in the head and it uh, kind of like uh, it moves, it falls back into the crowd, and then you do a punch attack, which then clears the crowd out further. Like that whole crowd control element is so well, so well done. Um, it makes you feel overwhelmed, but also makes you feel empowered when you you, you figure out a way to to shut it down. Uh, it's a ter- terrific game, fantastic. Did you know that that uh, that Resi Four was a big influence on the new Doom game? Nope, I didn't. It's an interesting story that came out from uh, Alex Wiltshire, former uh, editor of Edge or, or you know games editor of Edge, wrote an article recently, an interview with Id for Rock Paper Shotgun, where they talked about how almost all shooters, particularly sort of crowd control shooters. Yeah. Um, like Sirius Sam and, and Sirius Sam's best example of this become about backpedaling because mm. you run backwards all the time mm. and they praised Resi 4 as the game that managed to figure out a way to break out that cycle and it's all it's all done using the stun and the melee mechanic so that thing in Resi 4 where you can shoot a, a zombie in the leg and then knife it in the head yeah. and that's the kind of key rhythm that's most efficient that directly inspired the stun into melee takedown system in Doom because it means that you're encouraged to move into the crowd uh, rather than to run backwards and draw mm-hmm. it with you. Mm-hmm. It just was a really interesting bit. <clears> yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm, I've just, I'm just downloading Doom now, actually, so I'll, um, I'll give that You'll a go. Like and, uh, yeah, I think I, think I will. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so next up <laughs> then on Chris's list is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which is uh, another top 100 kind of like uh, resident. This, is, this is one of the games that I keep putting on that list because um, I love it and it'll always have a place in my heart so this was i think one of the last troika games like yeah. since when back in the era of <clears throat> sort of pre-indies but the, the more sort of medium-sized a studios lot of, lot of bnc publishers yeah, yeah. Um, and it was actually i think the first game released on the source engine which is a weird fact about mm. it's like yeah, right scans, yeah. very very close to half-life 2 and um it's a it's a sort of rpg first person hybrid sort of closer to rpg than deus ex but closer to deus ex than the maybe other games sort of immersive sim set in the world of darkness universe role-playing universe and i and it, it was very broken when it was released and it's still got some problems that have been resolved by community patch but if you've never played it it's got a well for one thing a brilliant main thread and a really strong sense of atmosphere and it's kind of unlike any other game of that type just because you're not a hero kind of you know working for the government or a spy or any of those things you are you know a monster in this society of monsters and it's a lot about you you newly uh, diablerized and become a vampire at start um and if someone diablerizes you <clears throat> i think um but it sort of sells a sense of place, which is sort of nocturnal LA really strongly, and it's heavily inspired by noir. And so it's sort of, it's modern set, but it's got a kind of like, you know, Chandlerian kind of LA setting, which is populated by vampires and monsters. And each mission is its own sort of like horror set piece that takes you off into sort of different takes on that idea. Like a haunted hotel is one of the standout examples, but also like a ship that's been, that's arrived in the dock with its crew entirely missing under mysterious circumstances and stuff like that. And you get all these brilliant set pieces. There's also a really strong plot thread with very strong characters that pulls you through that. But it's sort of ace in the hole is who you are and essentially the clan of the vampire that bit you. 
um, makes a massive difference to how you encounter the game. And, and the example people always use is, is like the Nosferatu, who are hideous, because there's a, the, whole, the concept of the masquerade is, is essentially the front that vampire society puts up to human society. So you can go up to a, um, you know, someone in a club and, you know, usher them aside and bite them, and you're not breaking the masquerade because, you, you know, that's what happens in goth clubs. You just bite people. It's fine. But if you do it in the street, then you, that's in violation of the masquerade. And, and most of the vampires live in sort of tension with that. It affects how you use your powers and so on. Whereas the Nosferatu can't use... They're, they're permanently in violation of the masquerade because they all look like, well, like Nosferatu from... What from that movie yep. called Nosferatu? <laughs> and so um, that changes how you play. But there's also the Malkavian who's insane and hears voices, but also hears things that the characters are thinking sometimes, but it's inconsistent with sometimes just their madness, and that steers you in one direction. And all of these different things give you access to different sort of parts of the story. So it really holds up to it holds up to repeated play in a way that I think other games of that <laughs> type don't. And it's also just really thick with sort of extensive of mystery and the sense that you're never quite uncovering everything as you go through so it kind of rewards repeated play i you know I, I, it's it's a shame that you probably never see a sequel to it because the world of darkness license that it was ccp and then that world of darkness mmo world of darkness got sold to paradox did it yeah so paradox own it now huh and i'm probably gonna announce something reasonably soon oh, that'd be awesome but like um but <clears> that bodes well then but obviously that, that mmo should never happened but yeah it's, it, it's a great setting and a brilliant standalone adventure mm, I've not played it but um, so, but as I always heard it was uh, buggy at launch but then communities basically kicked yeah, into shape yeah, yeah. and it's still like it's, it's you know it's a old game with some weird ideas about how to do RPG combat in a shooter mm. things people hadn't fi- figured out fully yet. source engine isn't it yeah, it yeah. Is. and there are some there's some weird things in it but it's you know like if you have you can t- you team up with a Japanese schoolgirl ninja to fight a whale whale shark man at some point in that game that also includes lots of serious meditations on being a monster it's all over the place in some ways but I, I think it's great if you, when you play as the Nosferatu can you not do any of the walk around talking to people stuff very little you, there are some people other vampires are fine you have to navigate entirely using the sewers which is easier for you than for other people the buff you get is that you don't get sick from eating rats so you can feed more substantially uh, on rats rather than humans. So it's not uh, rats. if it's your first playthrough, don't play as an Osferatu. Don't, don't play no. as an Osferatu in your first playthrough and probably don't play as a Malkavian either because they, like, the, a lot of the jokes in the Malkavian playthrough are better when you know what's going on because the Malkavian hears stuff they don't understand. And they did a brilliant thing of basically writing two scripts for the game because what the yeah. Malkavian hears is like a lot, of, a lot of the time what's really happening and sometimes it's just nonsense. But yeah, there's so much great stuff in that game. Like, there's like lots of Easter eggs. Like, if if you are a particular type of vampire and you encounter another vampire who's the same, you might get a different sort of outcome from a encounter than you might otherwise. Uh, yeah, it's great. I'll go, I'll, that's, yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard people talk about it for years, but uh, I really should get it done. For a long ass time. Yeah, I think it's in my GOG library, so I might, uh, mm. might download and play that then, finally. that's uh, yeah. yeah, it's also got a, a bitch in Lacuna Coil song over the credits, if you want to feel 16 <laughs> nice. again. Doesn't the main oh, character man. have a poster in the room of Lacuna yeah, Coil? Nothing, was... nothing timestamps <laughs> <were>, again. The, <laughs> the developers were very grateful for that the involvement of... Like Italian <laughs> goth metal band Lacuna Coil. <laughs> Enough their, that they bend their, their fiction around <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> it, is, yeah. it plays constantly as well. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so uh, on to another one of Phil's games then is Guild Wars 2. Yeah, um, um, so if you remember earlier all those things Chris said about Eve, um, Guild Wars 2 is none of that in an MMO. It's very much the World of Warcraft style of there's a bunch of stuff to do that has been created by developers 
and you're going to do that stuff, but maybe you'll enjoy it because it's good. Um, what is it? Um, what what is it that got its uh, hooks into you for for hundreds of hours then, Phil? Because you're kind so of our expert. I have played yeah an absurd amount of Guild Wars two, uh, and partly it was a social thing, just because uh, people I wanted to chat to were playing it. So that was like a nice background activity while we just chatted on Skype and stuff. But partly, I think um, it's one of the best kind of, certainly the best MMO, maybe even like one of the better multiplayer games for that kind of frictionless experience with friends. Like it takes a lot of what MMOs have done and kind of throws out a lot of the rules um, and a lot of the a lot of the roadblocks towards it that I think conventional wisdom would have as part of oh well these these are things you need to do for, for level design reason you know you need you need XP to work in this particular way and you need grouping to work into this particular way and uh, Guild Wars 2 kind of doesn't do any of it like if you want to group up with a friend you can just do that and you can go to any level you can go to if, if, if you're a high le higher level than like a friend you can go down to their level you know one of their areas and you downscale to that area and it's fine and you get rewards for doing it and the rewards are good enough that it's worth you doing it um there, there is always a reason to go to a place and have fun with somebody. Hmm. Uh, and, like, you're not so overpowered that it's... Well, you, you're not so overpowered that it's completely pointless. Like, like it's not fun for you. Um, so it's still good. And, you know, obviously they get the benefit without feeling like they're wasting your time. And that makes for, you know, a much better dynamic for sort of journeying through a world like that. Um, and even if you're not playing with friends, there's, like... The time I fell out with it the most, which was soon after launch, was that I was just going through and doing the quests like you would with any MMO. And, I mean, it's probably to the game's detriment that it has a lot of that stuff in. Like, you can do that. You can just go through the normal, like, collect 10, kill 10 quests. They're all there. But the more interesting path is through its dynamic events, which just trigger a, on a chain across many of the maps. And it's those events that kind of form these ad hoc groups that kind of let you... It's very sort of fluid feeling. You know, you go in and out and you form up with some people and you do some stuff and they'll wander off to do something. You'll wander off to find some other people and do something else. Um, like, it's very easy to get into it and play it for a long time just because there's always sort of stuff happening. There's always mm. things to discover. Also, it's one of the best-looking MMOs or of that type of MMO. Like, its environments are beautiful. It looks really nice. Um, I think mean, especially if you're sort of used to World of Warcraft, which obviously has a problem of age, and mm. um, it, it's also got those sort of very cartoony, stylized look to it. Like Guild Wars, sort of feels a bit more grounded and, um, but also quite vibrant in some, mm. some some ways. Like uh, it, it's sort of this very diverse, interesting place to explore. Um, what well, um, Andy? Didn't you play Guild Wars for <clears throat> ages, then cancel a character because you got sick of his voice? Is that right? Yeah. One of the characters is voice voiced no, by Nolan North. North. Yeah, <laughs> and I was a hunter, and I, I couldn't deal with hearing him going, my pet needs help, like a million times a session. But yeah, no, I love Guild Wars too. It was, when it first came out, it's the most fun I've ever had with an online, massively multiplayer game because even though I play solo mostly, it's the most social solo mm. MMO where those events would trigger, it would go, there's a big monster over there and everyone runs over yeah, and teams up and and even the collection ones everyone contributes to one pile of stuff so if it says go and, you know, go and harvest loads of apples from the orchard 
everyone that carries an apple it counts to the group mm. thing yeah, so rewarded in kind like, yeah um, it's just yeah it's really really slick even that the interface as well one of the most beautiful interfaces it's done in that sort of uh, painterly style of all their artwork and it's just a really pleasant like experience to just be there like, and use the yeah the, the world bottom is kind of phenomenal because it takes that but it's to the extreme like you can have 50 to 100 people show up in this one place to take down one big yeah. monster that you get huge rewards for it's just really cool like it feels like an event turning up something like that and everyone's sort of waiting around and they're, yeah. they're sharing buffs and things like you have these communal like feasts or fireplaces where everyone can get like upgrades and things and and so there's that kind of anticipation feeling even coming up to do like a monster where all you really need to do is stand at the edge and press one repeatedly for two minutes until it's dead Mm. um it still feels kind of really really communal and social and and yeah it's that's quite nice it's still the highest score i've ever given a game guild wars 2 and it actually, I mean, I, I drifted away from it after about six months, I think, and mm. I haven't gone back for the expansion. I'd like to. It's just time. And I still think it's brilliant. I still think it's, it's the best MMO of that type ever made. Uh, you know, it's a very generous business model where you mm. buy it and then it's free. There's no subscription. It's, yeah, it's just free now. And I'm just sort of, Mike, I, I sort of wonder why we don't hear about it so much anymore. You know, it sort of feels like I, I thought it was going to change the world when it came out because it is so good and mm. they addressed so many problems with WoW. And I guess maybe the fact that it, it couldn't kill WoW. I mean, if you make a game that's better than WoW in almost every way, <laughs> and it doesn't kill WoW, then I guess well, maybe... got rid of a lot of um, busy work is what I liked. You know, if you yeah. want to get yeah. quest reward, it just gets mailed to you. You don't have to go back to the person and go, I've done, I've collected 10 apples, you just get... Yeah, more often, not often you don't even have to pick up the quest. Yeah. Just yeah. in the area and so, mm. so it all just happens sort of in an interface sidebar, like yeah. automatically there's a just lot a bunch of the, press. Yeah, it didn't feel as much for a chore as WoW. Yeah, but I, I wonder if that maybe had some problems with its longevity for people whereas it wasn't putting you on a strict treadmill with lots of busy work so you didn't feel the same sort of yeah, grit I think like a people lot of, breezed through it had a great time then breezed straight out the other side yeah, yeah there was a lot of like oh it's got no end game <clears throat> sort of thing and I mean there probably wasn't as I mean obviously there wasn't as much to do as WoW when Guild Wars 2 released because WoW had been out for so long there was like there was a huge like progression system in place in World of Warcraft it, so much to do there um I think Guild Wars 2 struggled a bit to kind of retain players, uh, and it's tried to do it now with um, these kind of episodic releases. Um, for a while, it was doing one every two weeks, and it was just this like chunk of story content um, that would probably take you an hour or two to play through. And it's, to be honest, that's what I want from an MMO in terms of if mm. I, if, I, if there's an MMO I can play once every couple of weeks for a couple of nights, and that's kind of it. And I know I don't need to play it every day for you know two four however many hours mm. that's great because you know it respect you... your time yeah exactly um but i think for some people who are looking for like an mmo as a hobby like as a new thing to really obsess over it probably isn't quite um possibly doesn't know even now possibly not like there's, there's a lot of events especially with the expansion in place there's a lot of repetitious stuff you can do that sort of counts towards that kind of grindy end game search for good you know the best gear and there are raids and stuff now as well which i haven't actually tried because finding a raid group is a harrowing procedure Mm. um but yeah no it's good it's generous uh it's also free like they they removed the the price for the main game you only have to pay for the expansion now uh so like the base game is fantastic and you can just play it for free with no subscription and not really much going on in its like microtransaction store 
there's nothing there you really need in any way so it's worth downloading yeah for sure okay cool all right then um look out for that on the list maybe maybe we'll see yeah 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 for sure um okay cool uh so andy your third game is broken sword Mm, Um, the first one can always rely on you to get a bit of uh, adventure games going in the list you know yeah the first one's still the still the best one i think uh i've played the whole series twice maybe uh i've only played the most recent one once and i probably will never will again i thought it was bit disappointing um, but the first one still holds up uh, I think I've played the first Broken Sword more than any other game as in like repeated playthroughs of it ever since I, I think I first got it on PlayStation where it loaded off a CD-ROM and it was achingly slow mm-hmm. um, and up, up, right up until the director's cut which I replayed recently which has got some a new chapter a prologue chapter and some fancier um, new portraits by Dave Gibbons and stuff like that um, that's probably the version I'd say to get just in terms of it runs well and you can you know play at a decent resolution but um yeah it's just that kind of mix of real world history like fascinating real world history that has you reaching for wikipedia to learn more about the knights templar and stuff like that with a nicely constructed murder mystery you know it starts with uh, a a man in a clown suit bombing a parisian cafe which you're sipping coffee outside of and you aren't a detective you're just you're a patent lawyer from california and you're a bit of a bit of a goof but also kind of really intelligent as well so that's what's great about george the main character is that he gets investigates the bombing and gets embroiled in this sort of conspiracy to do with the occult and knights templar and ancient you know history and takes them all over the world from ireland to syria and stuff like that but he's still a kind of lovable twat <laughs> yeah he's he's a twat but he's also hey, really he's intelligent and incapable right? like he sort of it's kind of a front is his foppishness is a front for how you know he's very capable and um yeah this just it's just a great globe trotting adventure with great characters Puzz- the puzzles are the least interesting thing about it really it's just about the story and uh, the sort of hu- the humor it's genuinely funny like the mm. the, the thing of uh, been able to show every item in your inventory which which are numerous to every character no matter how banal it is as a, a joke a running joke so every time you meet a character you just go through your pockets and go hey what do you think about this snotty tissue what do you think about this clown's red nose and there's always like a funny line there's also a good, a good running gag where you get one of those hand buzzers you know if you shake someone's hand and shock them you get one early on and throughout the whole game every character you try on has an excuse not to do it it's really funny because they give you expect yeah, I'm going to buzz everyone, but it never <laughs> happens until one point at the end when you use it to solve a puzzle. But yeah, it's just it's just a, br- a brilliant mystery attached to a really sort of good pop pop sort of popular history uh, version of interesting events, you know, real world events. And and this was all before Dan Brown even lifted a pen. Like yeah, Bro- Broken Sword did that whole um, history meets modern mystery thing way before him and i think did and, it better uh, yeah a lot less shit <laughs> yeah uh, yeah that's fair to say yeah, it's probably i think and it's probably like two quid on steam if you've never played it but put, just play the first one the second one's all right and it sort of slowly gets worse as it goes on the 3d ones i think are oh, pretty pretty pants i played that third 3d one was it yeah. dragon something of the dragon yeah. terrible game but yeah one and one and two are brilliant definitely play one too but yeah i think we should always have a broken sword on the list and yeah, i think the as, first one's the as regular readers of the magazine will know i now hate adventure games and think <laughs> they should all be destroyed but i do quite like broken sword one, yeah so. it's not it's, 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 it's not, not as obtuse yeah like 
okay, there's a thing with the goat, but other than that, <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to work on rehabilitating Phil into uh, adventure <laughs> games after his uh, traumatic experience with Day of the Tentacle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, cool. Um, so my third game is Mass Effect Two. Talked about there the first is. one. Uh, I guess we'll dwell on this for ages because we, you know, sort of Chris talked about the differences between the first one and the uh, subsequent two, which are quite closely linked in terms of being action games without the Mako stuff and with, uh, yeah, none of the kind of RPG sort of combat or uh, proper sort of customization you get in the first game. But it does have some uh, bloody good storytelling in it, um, some really good uh, one-off sci-fi stories that occur around your companions in the game. has my favorite companions in the series. I know everyone hates Jacob and I think I'm the only one who likes Miranda as well. But I like, like Miranda. um, Miranda's fine. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but I like uh, I think Thane's the best. Yeah, Thane's amazing. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I guess I really like that. Uh, oh god, everyone always says it: the Empire Strikes Back, second darker chapter thing. I do like the fact that you go from being this sort of chosen one-ish character in the first game to now you're working for these shady motherfuckers and uh, Mine Sheen, you know, sat by a a star. Like in his cabin or whatever. Like no, for uh, a man so obsessed with uh, humanity, he can't say the word humanity. 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 <laughs> humanity. 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 You just want to just have him, have him be sat in front of a great big aquarium tank. <laughs> he is just talking about the manatee behind him the entire yeah. time. I think he's good in that though. Yeah, I don't want to. Great. Uh, yeah. What a great good casting. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it's such a huge set of the moment you go into that office in Mass Effect Three as well. Like, yeah. And because it's you know you're dying there on the Reaper stuff so much, you kind of need that sort of semi-antagonist figure to yeah. be around like uh, I think Mass Effect 2 misses this more than either other Mass Effect game like Mass Effect 1 has Saren and that he, he is a really good personal motivation mm-hmm. that props up a lot of the kind of sci-fi stuff that's happening in the background that isn't revealed towards the end Mass Effect 2 probably leans on the Reapers a little hard in that regard just as he does rely a lot on Harbinger going, I know you feel this. Yeah. <laughs> in the distance for an entire game. <laughs> I, like, I just, the collector, but yeah, not not the best character there. Um, I've started to wonder if I also like Mass Effect 2 because I was in a better mood when I played it than when I played the other two, <laughs> which is a really dumb thing to what say. What a better place in your life. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, because, like, I, yeah, I did, it was something about playing it at that time. I reviewed it over. Uh, Christmas 2009 I just had the game like uh, at my parents house and I was reviewing it for a 360 mag at the time but obviously I have it on PC now just to maintain credibility uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like uh, yeah it was uh, it was just I don't know that, that, that party and that the feel of, of being in that universe when you're working for Cerberus who are quite widely hated like you feel like a real outsider and uh, yeah I loved it and I, I as much as I do value the exploration stuff in the first game I do Love the fact that everything's so immediate in that game, and the addition of the um, reactions and conversations, which I forgot the name of now. What's it called when you hit the paragraph? Really goes yeah. the interrupts. Just fantastic. Mm. Like just when a guy's go, a guy goes, "I'm not mm. telling you anything." You're like, "Fine, <laughs> shoot, shoot him in the uh, yeah, shoot and kill him." It's like it, that sort of stuff was really really cool. Like um, it was just one of the best sci-fi things around at the time of launch. Like there was, I don't remember that was the year that Avatar came out, and like. I don't know. Fil- sci-fi films are horseshit, and the best sci-fi was happening in games at that time. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, uh, yeah I, I love, I love the whole series. I love the first one, and you know, I have no problems with the third one's ending. It's interesting that you say that because I think I realised that, like, I've never quite reconciled myself with Mass Effect Two, even though I love it and I played it. Multiple- I mean, it's the one I replayed the least, I think. But, um, but I, I remember really vividly how, like, not disappointed, but how long it took me to like it. 
when I started playing. And it's because I think, unlike you, I had such a strong attachment to the first game. And I replayed, I probably played the first game eight times by the time the second one came out. Wow. And I loved that game and I loved everything about it. And I'd reconcile myself to all of its weird, you know, all of its weird foibles and mm. things that objectively people would say were Because you flaws. just lived in it. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, there's a whole thing where, like, I remember reading on the Mass Effect 1 wiki, do you remember the Pinnacle Station DLC? I do, yeah. Like the VR trainings area that was not good, I think, on, in, in, on balance. It was, isn't that where they introduced Lance Henriksen's character? Uh, he was in the entire game as a voice. Oh, okay, maybe I just imagine that. Yeah, yeah. He, I think he's, yeah, maybe he's in that. I think you a, see him as a hologram in that. Anyway, you might see him briefly as a hologram in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it was not good DLC. Um, Pinnacle Station is like the training zone VR fighting area DLC. It's the, it's the kind of equivalent of the Clash in the Clouds, kind yeah, of like yeah, that first piece. Com- of, yeah, it's the low effort combat. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the combat DLC and. There was a whole thing that you like. You kind of said that like most of the challenges, like here are classes you can get the best scoring at the top rating on. And you get nothing for getting the top rating on the challenges, but like the Mass Effect wiki at the time said it was basically impossible to do it with an infiltrator, and I basically spent like ten hours proving that wrong, and like that's how into that game I was. And yeah. so when they decided with two that the series needed a soft reboot, because two is a soft reboot, like blowing up yeah. the. Normandy at the start, redesigning the visual look of the game, redesigning how guns work and ammo works, and how aliens work and how people dress and everything about it that changes. Your party's a bit edgier in two as well. Yeah, yeah, well, people are suddenly iconic, right? Like, in the first game, everyone ends wearing the same goofy space jumpsuits as everyone else, because mm. the idea is you equip them and there's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more sort of consistent sci-fi wise mm. whereas the second game everyone has an iconic costume the Normandy is sexier you've got an AI now even though the first game has this whole meditation yeah. on why we can't have AIs Garrus is and, a bounty hunter yeah Garrus is a bounty hunter yeah. everyone is cool and sexy you're kind of everyone's dad you've gone from being <laughs> you've gone from being actually just the wrong person in the right place or the right place in the wrong you know, the right person in the wrong time or whatever mm. in the first game to being basically space Jesus that everyone worships and you came back to life and all this stuff and everything sort of turned up to 11. And for a while, I was like, I can't. Like, it was like a bath I couldn't get used to. It's like, the first thing I did, the first thing I did about, after being resurrected by Cerberus was go, fuck this, and go fly back to the Citadel and go, like, let me back in. I want to be a Spectre again. Like, I hated it. And then eventually I kind of came around to it because the companions are so good and the writing is so good. Wow. But it's still, like, I like Mass Effect 3, I think, because by that point, I'd gotten used to the, such a huge change in what felt like to me, like, such a huge yeah. change in direction. I was also um, 21 when the first one came, sorry, when the second one came out. So I wonder if that was another element of it. Like, I was a bit younger, so it being edgier was quite exciting to me although we are the same age Chris, <laughs> yeah, so. age, but then i hadn't played through it eight times like yeah. um and I think I, that's it, like, yeah i think that will just pro- no matter what skew your perspective i play through it once and i've played through two uh three times and three i don't remember really vividly there's a conversation in, in two when you re-encounter <clears throat> either ashley or caden like whoever the human companion was that survived the first game mm-hmm. and they basically tell you off for being a member of cerberus <laughs> let's not, not get into that no. <laughs> and they tell you off for being a member of cerberus and I, I was so pissed off at the game for having a character i really liked come back to tell me off for doing something i didn't yeah. want to do yeah and i've been trying to leave cerberus <laughs> the entire game just like <laughs> Whereas I was like, uh, I think when I encountered Ashley, I was like, yeah, I've got Miranda now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst person. I found a different racist. <laughs> there's um. a, there's a, it's also got some uh, quite cracking DLC as well. It does, it's yeah. not, it's not great all great. Deals. Like Overlord's probably like the, the mid-range one, but Lair of the Shadow Broker is, uh, yeah, is excellent. And so it's Kasumi's Stolen Memory where you, play, you kind of do like this undercover James Bond thing and it has a cracky ending. They really did feel like TV episodes. You I know? love yeah. that room you go into in the Kasumi DLC where it's like all these artifacts. It's the collection of the yeah, guy yeah. whose mansion it is, isn't it? It's got the Statue of Liberty's uh, head, head, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
that was cool. Yeah. Of, yeah, it was a cool touch. It's it's yeah, there's lots of great things happen to it subsequently. And as I say, I do think it's a fantastic game. It just is interesting that it took me a while to mm. to reconcile myself to how different it was. Yeah. But I love the I love the whole series. It's one of the, the best things that you know that has happened in video games yeah, full stop. Absolutely. And uh yeah. I would say this actually but uh, it's interesting I wonder if anyone else is bothered by this. Like Mass Effect two is probably the Mass Effect game that changed the most in development. Like to the extent that quite late they imposed a structure on it that the other games don't stick to. So the, mm. you know those moments in Mass Effect Two where the, the elusive man phones you and it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're doing this now. That was to add structure to a game that when they made it had less. Like originally you couldn't recruit the entire crew in any order, and then they kind of broke it up into those sections so it's like four people at a time. Yeah, you know, right. to have the game hold together because like that's why if you go into the files there are mods that mean because like tal- characters like Tally and Legion have lines for every mission in the game even though as it currently is they can't possibly be recruited till later on mm. and it's, it's like I kind of wonder if that game would have worked because I think Mass Effect 2's problem is that it feels quite episodic you know what I mean like everything is all sort of self-contained bits that sit alongside each other would you prefer to have played the one where it's this complete sandbox about making friends and I quite like the way it's staggered it I, I like the sort of minimal manageable in my head to go right there's three available now and then, like a story about Horizon happens, doesn't mm. it? And then it's, another three. I kind of like. I quite like that. It's nice to have direction it. in a game with so much scanning as well. Like uh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's quite easy. I could just get off the beaten track and get sort of sat in a mega, not really knowing what to do for a long time. I I don't know. I, I don't mind it as is. Like um, yeah, the thing I don't like is the way that when the collectors take your crew, you have to go and rescue them right away, or they all die as part of the yeah. story. Uh, like that's hot bullshit. I think because. I don't know. It's like, like that bit in uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution where you've got to go straight to the mission, otherwise all the people in the factory get killed by the terrorists. It's like, yeah. oh, I want to explore. At least you're kind yeah. of warned about that. And in both cases, yeah. it makes yeah. sense. Like, you're yeah. Warned, yeah, you're warned about that, but I guess you ignore it because that's what games always yeah, say. You go, oh, the game won't do that. But yeah. Then they don't repeat that again in the rest of the game. Like, but it, I think yeah, that's probably, like, it, it makes quite a strong statement if you then follow it up as then that's a thing. Like, you know, are, are you going to piss about or yeah. are you going to actually do the thing you've been paid to do? Yeah. But they kind of do it as a cheap ploy to, to you know, make you have a little deus ex moment. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hmm. All right, well, yeah, I think, I think we agree anyway that the, the entire series is very, very good. And next, um, Mass Effect 3. <laughs> <laughs> you can see where they all uh, appear in the list uh, next week, I guess. But yeah. And the which ones um, are left out. Yes, indeed. Okay, cool. Chris, your fourth game, No One Lives Forever 2. Another Chris Thurston special. <laughs> yeah. Another game I keep putting on the list. So I haven't actually played Nolf 2 in a long time. Um, it's a bit of pain to do now. Because, for that reason. Down, so the Normalist Rover series was a series of kind of immersive sims, I guess, or like <laughs> stealth action games set in sort of 60s spy movie pastiche. But it manages, I think it's, I think it's humour and it's um, sort of observational you know, it's comedy about that kind of genre of, of James Bond film has stood up better, I think, than something like Austin Powers, which is ostensibly in the same sort of genre as another thing people have entirely forgotten. Well, Goldmember doesn't stand up, but, you know, the, uh, other, the, the other two are right. Yeah. yeah, first one does. The first one, yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, No One's Forever is kind of... It was an early game to have a really good, well-written, funny female protagonist, and, and in that setting, that's an interesting thing to do. It's got a quite interesting kind of sort of atmosphere around being a kind of, like female James Bond, I guess, in, in that sort of 60s camp spy action, which is given that, you know, a female James Bond or equivalent is something they still refuse to do. It's sort of interesting that they experimented with, with, with Nolan Forever. It's also really funny, 
top guard banter, which is an hmm. art from immersive sims that comes and goes. Like, you know, the days of where you would stop and wait to listen to an entire conversation between two guards because it was really well written. No one observer is probably the best example of that. Um, because you sure don't get good ones in Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, silly. I fought the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> he broke my arm in three places. <laughs> well, we didn't script that, but it sounds like we did. It's, uh, it's amazing. Oh, what was it that the Dishonored guards always say about... Oh, uh, Do you think you'll get to snooze your own squad after what happened last <laughs> night? That's the one. <laughs> Do you... Um, no, it's, the other thing is... Or just by... constant splinter cell conviction. Airfield! Remember the Airfield? Fish, Fisher, what happened at the airfield? I'm getting for the airfield. <laughs> Can we shut up about Shall the airfield? Shall we meet up for whiskeys and cigars later? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> That's the other one, yeah. Never um, doubt it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a monolith shooter, right? So yes, Monolith, you went to make... Shadows of... Yeah, and before that, though, Condemned and Fear. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. what a tonal shift, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's it's so much of its time. I think the other reason I keep putting it on the list is, is partly it's not forgotten, because it's never appeared on Steam. It's never really appeared on GOG. Apparently, the license is wrapped up in some sort of like post Sierra legal catastrophe yeah. where no one can find it anymore and nobody will admit to owning it yeah and as a result so you know chance of a, a sequel a, a, a nil but even just the chance to play it again like you can a lot of these games you can dip into and maybe this breaks the rule of like would you go back to it today but it's, it's less go back to it today and it's like stop don't forget about it don't forget yeah. this brilliant series of sort of progressive funny comedy action stealth games existed and were brilliant and then went away someone must be able to get this running on windows 10 like um yeah I've, yeah but it's, it's getting the actual yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Like the problem yeah it's, it's just, just a case getting of access to it like i have to go legally find... acquiring it is next to impossible well, someday someday someone will get it on gog i'm sure it will happen it's just you know uh i, I it's weird the whole thing is weird how didn't it's activision say annoying. Didn't Activision like, actually say we don't think we own this but we don't really the know the company responsible for getting um Oh, what's the one they did? Was it Planescape? No. Are you thinking of um, the people who got Night Turok. Drive? I think they're called. Huh? Night Drive or Night Dive or something. Night like Dive, that. Yeah, yeah, Night Dive Studios. Yeah, they got <clears throat> System Shock, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. They got System Shock too. Like they they sorted the rights out there, and that that kind of seemed like their specialty is like unpicking a game from its kind of ownership hell and yeah. getting it onto GOG, and they had a damn good swing at No One Lives Forever and couldn't do it. Damn. Well, they, I think they just announced, yeah, like, we're kind of, it's indefinitely on hold while we wait for somebody to actually <clears throat> say, you know, who owns this, what's happening. So weird that that can happen. Yeah. It's only, ha- it's only like, over just every decade ago. It's not like the paperwork was lost in a BBC fire or something <laughs> in, like, 1972. Um, anyway, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to see in the list, Chris, <laughs> like, uh, you know even if it is impossible to play now. Uh, Phil, um, you've put a game in your list that I wish I'd put in mine in retrospect, which is Wolfenstein The New Order, the uh, 2014 fun machine games uh, revival of the series that had probably the best shooter campaign in any game for uh, For since COD 4, probably. A hell of a long time, yeah. And that's largely why I put it on there, just because it's my favourite first-person shooter for, like some time like significantly in in terms of campaign like there were plenty of multiplayer games that I've gone board with but in terms of here here's just a linear campaign of things that are going to happen to you like it doesn't get much better than Wolfenstein uh, like its guns are absolutely amazing they just <laughs> Feel really good to fire shotguns I, in that game Chris you've oh, written about oh. the shotguns before I, I loved writing previews of that game because every it was just like 
I mean, I'm not a big fan of just like wanky prose a lot of the time, but that <laughs> that game fucking earns it because it's like it's like the best wank you've ever had. With a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Those shotguns are the best wank you've ever had. Having two, two of them at the same time. Oh, yeah. oh god! If like having crazy. a lead one wank. in each fist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> two fistfuls of lead wank. <laughs> Put that in the back of the box. Thing is, that does sound like some dialogue that a character would say in the game. It does. Like, uh, but you'd say it like that. It's mumble. No, it would be, it'd be more homespun like that. It'd yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, my daddy used to say the war was just two fistfuls of lead <laughs> wing. <laughs> you know, when we, when um, I first saw this game at a preview event in 2013, and um, he says that thing where he goes, fuck you, Moon, yeah. that really annoyed <laughs> yes. me. Oh, I love that. I oh, know, that was um, amazing. <laughs> but I, no, it's the, I annoy, it annoyed me because I felt like they were trying so yeah, hard see, to I'm cultivate a kind moon. of look how funny we are sort yeah. of. But then in the game, it really fits the context of it. Like, it's... Uh, it's a game with robot dogs. Yeah, it's like, there are some sort of disturbing tonal shifts that you think, oh, did they quite earn that? I think like the folksy <laughs> humor thing, they definitely do earn. Like, they're, they're, like they, they do enough there to really justify the course of that campaign. It's really weird, like how good of maybe not of an overarching story it is, but for, like from the moment to moment interaction and dialogue, like it's really good and entertaining, and there are some really likable characters in it, mm. which is not something I really expected from a Wolfenstein like. It's, it's a, also, it just it looks really visually arresting, like that opening scene in the hospital where you know it, he, he's sort of seeing everything in this kind of stop time motion, lapse, yeah. yeah, time lapse coma vision is <laughs> and very he, he, good. He wakes up after ten years of muscle atrophy, immediately knifes a Nazi in the neck, <laughs> yeah. shoots his way out of a, a mental hospital full of Nazis. Because yeah. my name is Blowjob Blaskowitz, so why not? <laughs> I, uh, my name is Blowjob Blaskowitz, and I've got two, <laughs> two massive, massive iron fistfuls of wank. <laughs> it's, a, it's funny, because that thing you say about um, story, I agree with that. In our best games writing feature that we did a couple of issues ago, oh, yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. we put that in there, because it's a very good example of how you can use story in a game that doesn't necessarily have to be that Firewatch gone home thing of making you feel something. Sometimes it, like, it's, being entertaining is its own it's kind of fun thing with the writing. Really, like, yeah, cliche and folksy, <coughs> but it's delivered in such a way to make this kind of really like uh, homespun, ridiculous mood piece that's just really entertaining to listen to. Just goes for it. Yeah. It's got loads yeah. of heart as well, which <clears> is something that, like, it could be, you know, you know, when it's just like, oh, I'm going to bother Nazis for a couple of hours, like, it could be quite nihilistic. But the fact that you're surrounded by all these characters... And it's quite like, you know, we're the last sort of like bastion of sort of, you know, you know, love and freedom and diversity and, and mm. everything else. I mean, the fact that it, it, on one thread of the game's two timelines, Jimi Hendrix is basically one yep. of your mates. Like, it's it's such a kind of weird thing to be like, you know, BJ, Jimi Hendrix and the rest and the kind of international council of kind of refugees defeat robot Nazis is such a weird thing, but it's really sweet for some reason. Yeah. Like, it's sort of there's loads of moments in it that are nice not because they're kind of funny or like the fuck you moon thing, but because they're just sort <clears> of like quite human. Yeah. And like more so than other games. Like the bit quite early on where there's a sequence on the train which is quite famous for being a bioshocky and kind of morality test where you meet a prominent Nazi. And there's a bit after that where <clears throat> BJ just shows up back at the the train cabin with two tiny cups of coffee and he, he's, he's a giant man and he will dual wield anything but him with these two little <laughs> tiny two tiny cups of coffee is really kind of sweet and silly and then and then and it cuts to them just like him and Anya just you know doing it yeah. and they're kind of constantly doing it for the rest of the game which is actually one of the more mature presentations of two adults hooking up in a game that I can think of because the romance in that game isn't like the end of the game or a, like a traditional kind of 
oh, you've wooed me by punching Hitler kind of <laughs> thing. It's just two people meet and then hook up, and they're kind of like discreetly hooking up in the background for the rest of the game, and it's just kind of yeah, way smarter than it has any right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Also, um, to talk about the systems a little bit, like a really smart integration of stealth and action. Hmm. Like, um, I'm awful when I'm playing stealth games usually. Like, I will <coughs> reload things if I get spotted constantly just so I can have a perfect stealth playthrough of something like a jerk. Uh, I could never, Tony does that as I well. could never <coughs> Twitch stream any stealth game I played because it would be the TD, it would be like watching speedrunners, like bad speedrunners who restart after every failure. Right. It would be awful. But, right, Wolfenstein clearly isn't a stealth game, but it has that, those, those really kind of meaty, interesting stealth systems in there and lets you get a certain way within it and then if you fail come back it up with dual shotguns so going loud actually feels like you know a a, a viable choice it it doesn't feel like a failure if you get spotted it feels like now we do the shotgun thing Mm. Mm. yeah oh well the alarm went off I guess I can use these I guess it's time for these (laughs) fuck you that's a great uh, prison break level as well. Like uh, it does everything that game. Those levels are really smart. Yeah, the, one the, idea the way... generally, and then they just that <clears throat> idea for that level. Then something completely new. You mm. know? Yeah, it really encourages you during the action sections. Really encourages you to use like the space of a combat arena in a very clever way, like to experiment and to switch between weapons and to actually engage with a lot of its systems. Mm. And I think that's what makes it like there's so much going on for it in terms of pacing and variety and story that it just makes it a really good cool really good shooter good yep. game a very mm. good choice uh okay cool andy your fourth game is gta 5 uh, we talked about it quite a lot before <clears throat> yeah um, anything yeah. new to add uh not really i i just <laughs> uh i just returned to it recently to the single player campaign um it's still one of my favorite places to run about an amazingly constructed world and uh, I love the story. I love the three characters probably more than. I mean, it's, it's very they're very divisive. But I think that the three actually I don't like Franklin because he spends the whole game moaning. Boring. He just moans and he's got he's boring. But but Michael is one of my favorite sort of game protagonists because he's just such a he's such a twat. He's just a, has been like <clears throat> you know re- he's a wreck of a man. He's a, sh- a human shambles sort of. Yeah. Uh, idiotically trying to relive his glory days I just love that and, and the, the ways that his family don't respect him and his son's constantly you know doing stuff to uh, like drugging him and, and stuff like that it's just a brilliant like shambolic family um, and I love, I love Trevor like uh, yeah he's, he gets more he's more in, he gets more endearing the more time you spend with him yeah, in a weird well, way we think we've um, we were on the third highest in GTA Online at the moment we think we've seen the last canonical appearance of Trevor yeah um, and it seems to be uh, that he's basically he it ends with him crying next to an action figure by a tree. I think that's the last time you see Trevor in that game, and I love the idea that that's how he goes out. Like yeah. <laughs> he's having a massive cry, and there's yeah. like a Republican Space Ranger figure that's next to him. He's like, oh, oh. Just a mission complete, and then yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's still a, just a, a brilliantly constructed. I, I'm I didn't really get into the online. I don't I don't. Not a massive fan of the online, but as a single player experience, I think it's just a brilliant collection of like ludicrous missions. I think you would love the online <clears throat> because you don't you don't have to treat it like it's online if you've got a couple of friends. Like mm. it just becomes a co op basically. Yeah, we just I quite enjoy the about on private servers, which yeah. has been a good way of staying away from like modders and dickheads. 
Mm. It's a good kind of uh, solo game, though, in that sort of um, just wandering around at your own pace kind of thing. I don't think I'd enjoy having other people that are like, right, we're going to go and do this. What I love about that game is you can just go, right, I've got all these blips on the map. I could do a story mission. I could go and... Uh, I was doing, but I was doing some nature photography the other night on the 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 PC exclusive um, nature photography. I was just creeping around as Franklin, taking pictures of deer and stuff. It was, <laughs> it was lovely. I've seen so, character. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, so it's, it's you know I kind of like that leisurely thing about it. And I, you know I think I've, I'm on Steam. I've played it for 106 hours. Wow. And I, I played it on I put it on Xbox originally for a review for like 80 hours. So I spent so much time in that world and. Mm. I, I still want to spend more time there. Just to contrast Andy's uh, deer photography um, story, um, me and Phil and uh, sometime PC Gamer contributor Tom Hatfield all had to steal a tank from Fort Zancudo in GTA Online, and we all <clears throat> parachuted out of quite a shitty plane over mm. the um, over the base, and then all uh, all made terrible landings. So I think we all hit the sides of buildings. Oh, I was like, <laughs> out. the hangar, and then fell to my death. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, basically tried to make a getaway in the tank. It's like about uh, i think always four choppers and about 50 police cars are just ramming you we didn't quite get there but the the rush of doing that was just yeah, incredible yeah. like um they definitely nerfed the difficulty of going to Ancudo for that mission but mm. that's the sort of thing they've got in gta online like you know one of you taking out uh, helicopters to try and keep them off the tank while he's making the escape and that's amazing that wasn't my stupidest gta online death which <clears> was probably during the heist in heist you have a, a lives limit so if if, if <laughs> Two deaths occur uh, from any like anybody. You've got a problem <coughs> that allows for one respawn of one person, and if you use that, you fail. So when I, when we were, I was waiting for Sam. Sam had taken off in a helicopter. We were at a dock, and uh, I taken off in a helicopter from the dock, mm-hmm. and you were you went in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was just finishing off some enemies just to make sure that. <clears throat> We were actually safe and stuff. Yeah, it was clearing the area down, and I was running to the helicopter as you take off. So I shout, Sam, I need you to pick me up. But kept running and kind of went into the water. And while I'm in there, I was playing on keyboard because I do when I'm shooting, um, just for the accuracy of like the mouse. But realised I didn't know how to swim, what the swimming controls were on <laughs> keyboard. So I shout out to everyone else as they're trying to land. I I've forgotten how to swim. <laughs> <laughs> I just slowly drowned, and then he drowned, and it was mission over. <laughs> we had to do it, uh, do that bit again. But um, yeah, that's the sort of uh, hilarious jape you can get from GTA Online. It's like it is a whole MMO now, on top of the uh, single player option. So really, they're one of the best value games you can get on Steam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the amount stuff. of stuff that like if if you just want to do single player, you can do that. But if you want to, there's so much. It's ridiculous. Yes, indeed. Okay, cool. Uh, my fourth game then, Stanley Parable. Hey, uh, made by I don't remember now. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what the, the team's called, but it was, um, yeah, it was William Pugh worked on it. Yeah, William Pugh. Yeah, uh, and they yeah they, they gave themselves a name, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a game that absolutely blew my little brother's mind. I played it when um, when he was round, and like uh, the the spoiler alert, there's a bit where you walk into Minecraft, and I think his brain just like opened up, like oh my god, you can do this? You can go from being in a corridor to it's Minecraft now? <laughs> I think that just absolutely uh, amazed him. But um, it's uh, it's full of surprises, and I thought it was, well, after two playthroughs thinking, oh, this is kind of dull, then all the exciting stuff starts happening, and you're like, oh, oh wow, this is, uh, this is actually incredible. I'd like to go back to it one day and just find the other endings, but can't remember exactly what I did, so trying to unpick that would be a bit of a nightmare. But yeah, um, yeah an incredible uh, uh, interactive narrative game. Um, yeah, and they've both gone on to do their own interesting things. Um, <coughs> hmm. William Pugh made uh, 
has made a bunch of like free games you can play. Yeah, under the Crows, Crows, Crows label. Uh, Davey Reardon made the flawed, but probably worth playing, Beginner's Guide last year. Mm. Um, so yeah, great game. Interesting and a little depressing. Indeed. So Chris, your final game, mm-hmm. Dragon Age Origins. Oh wow, <clears throat> I can talk about bio- Bioware things. <laughs> it's Finally. funny because you mentioned how... Uh, just threw some paper for no reason. <laughs> you mentioned how you... Um, like Mass Effect and Dragon Age Origins are of a piece in terms of like yeah. they're contemporaries but, but um, Origins only came out about three months before Mass Effect 2 they were much closer together oh yeah they were well they, but they were development contemporaries which is mm. probably worth considering so it was I, around I, for years wasn't it I would I would I, if you're interested in the history of, of that company like um, so yeah Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect 1 are sort of the last games made by pre-EA Bioware um, and I don't think them being, you know, bought by EA was was you know a bad thing overall. I think it might have informed like how those big changes we talked about in, in Mass Effect Two it got sexier <coughs> and more like a shooter and so on. Um, but Dragon Age Origins is a fascinating thing because it took them basically the better part of ten years to make this sprawling, old school RPG. And it looks like it. And it looks like it took them <laughs> ten years. Um, but it's it's but it's it's a game that definitely benefits benefited from having just been aged like they had loads of ideas and they sat on the fiction forever and they worked on it in this intricate fantasy world they kind of came up with and they, yeah they they pulled in things from like a song of ice and fire and and a lot of other and like traditional like you know lord of the rings stuff but they created what i think is a really great fantasy universe with really interesting mythology underneath it but then had and time a stupid name for its world what Thedas. I love Dragon that setting, which means the Dragon Age. Oh, I love <laughs> yeah, that so much because it's like it's cheeky Bioware. It's fun. Yeah, I love that. Thetis, yeah, yeah. Um, the Das. <laughs> anyway, in the world of the Das. Um, but yeah, so I come from the Das, and the and it's, you know, and like it's enormously ambitious, and it benefited from having had the time sunk into it to have to be like mega long. Like it's that's a mega long game. That's a hundred hour playthrough. If you're just pootling through it, that's a 200-hour game. If you, if you don't, where well, is it really? Yeah, okay, it's three I'll... times longer than any Mass Effect game, I'd say. Yeah, I, I remember it taking me about 80 hours first. Yeah, I think if yeah. you, I think if you don't do everything, you can do 80 to 100 hours. Right. Yeah. But um, you know, it's 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 basically like old school JRPG length rather than the new mm. sort of 20 to 35 hour thing, which mm. the Mass Effect games kind of established. Um, and all of that it benefits so much from from having had that amount of time sunk into it because like the volume of really good moments individual plot arcs companion stories uh, and little bits of sort of like embedded mythology in that game make it really rewarding to kind of play slowly and I think one thing it does very effectively whether you play it like in a big marathon where it takes a couple of weeks and you kind of play it every night or you pick at it over the course of a long period of time it's very successful at sort of allowing you to like absorb that world through osmosis just the amount of time you spend there with those characters in that way it feels like if, if Mass Effect is like is a, a whole season of a TV show um, especially Mass Effect 2 then Dragon Age is like a big chunky fantasy paperback that you kind of um, and by the end you are so invested in in that place in its world that again it's another Bioware game where I think they really nailed the final act which I, actually in the case of the Dragon Age series I don't think they've ever done it as well again yeah, the like, second one's got a, quite a, a flawed third act, yeah, I would well, say. The second one suffered from having no resources assigned to it, generally. And the third one, actually, I think has a surprisingly weak ending, given how how big... I mean, I'm talking about Dragon Age Inquisitions. I haven't actually 
I still haven't played Trespasser, which I really need to, but um, it's it's ending out of the box, yeah. I think, is actually quite abrupt and sort of underwhelming compared to yeah, Dragon yeah. Age Origins, which allows you to spend 100 hours traveling around with this party of companions that you get really attached to, you know, desperately taking these treaties that should allow you to uh, recruit the various races and factions of the world into an army to fight this existential threat. You're essentially a member of the Night's Watch traveling around Westeros trying mm. to get all the, the various houses to join you to fight the White Walkers. That is basically <coughs> the plot of, yeah, yeah. of Dragon Age. But that's a really compelling setup, which is, you know, why people are annoyed that it's taken George R. R. Martin this long to get around to it. Um, and But within each of those moments, there's a brilliant story, and, and the whole thing adds up, and it builds to this brilliant finale where it all matters so in in the space of one game it kind of does what they managed to do over the course of the entire Mass Effect series the Mass Effect series gives you that payoff at the end of watching the galaxy go to war for you based on what your choices have been and, yeah. and Dragon Age kind of does that in the first game which is, is why it's so hard to top and I think the and the amount of different endings based on the number of different origins you can have hence the subtitle and so on kind of all come together into this kind of really special one-off RPG and I love the whole series but I always have a soft spot for that game I remember when Phil when you and I did the audio yeah, podcast wow. guide to Dragon Age Keep where we talked through every choice in that series and you remember how it took us two hours because it's how much there is going on <coughs> it's even longer than this podcast indeed yeah, for <laughs> sure. um, but the other interesting thing about it is that I think when it was that was a game that was not supposed to do well and certainly wasn't supposed to you know spawn an ongoing series I, you know I, can't, I still remember EA advertise marketing that game with um, "This is the, the new, new shit, shit" by yeah. Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <laughs> EA oh, wanted yes, you but... to believe that Dragon Age Origins was in fact like, the new shit. I don't, I don't have like you know I can't say this with authority, but my my guess is that EA bought Bioware for Mass Effect. They saw what Mass yeah. Effect could be this kind of cinematic sci-fi action game that could take what was exciting about RPGs but marry it to Gears of War, basically, and the potential in that. And then when they bought that company, they also got this thing this like lunchbox full of rpg this that had been buried in PC the garden thing. for 10 years <laughs> yeah yeah and but... yeah and they released it i don't think expecting <clears> to do anything do getting expecting it to do anything and then it did and it explains why that that series has been far more hit and miss than than mass effect has because i don't think i don't think ea ever really knew what to do with it to be honest i still don't i think inquisition mm. is a better step towards it but i wonder never... if it's i think they're still finding the way so yeah yeah part of me wonders if like the they're going to back away from large-scale Dragon Age games as they make this new IP in Andromeda. Like, it takes them so long to make these games now. Um, I don't know. I Inquisition did well, I believe. But yeah, Inquisition was huge and popular. And well, put it this way, good. like, you know, Inquisition... Like, Inquisition was them sort of going, shit, Skyrim, we could have a Skyrim. Yeah. I suspect when and if there's another Dragon Age game, it'll be them going, The Witcher, we can have a Witcher. Because... Yeah. <coughs> fantasy RPGs keep being mega successful around Dragon Age mm. and I think Dragon Age still has the best writing well, maybe not as the, as the Witcher but I'm less familiar with that series it's close though but like yeah and I, I would happily return to it but Origins <coughs> I think um, if you're not going to play Pillars of Eternity or something like that then I think Origins still stands up as a brilliant adventure I think, yeah it's an interesting bridge between RPGs as they were in the sort of Neverwinter Nights. Never Nights template and RPGs as they are now. Like, it's interesting to see... It's the exact intersection. It being in the middle ground of that period, seeing ideas from sort of both, like, seeing the future in various aspects, but so much of it being so kind of beholden to a lot of the ideas of... Uh, and ideas and things that people who really like PC RPGs still really want to be a part 
of yeah. RPG gameplay and often isn't. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting, but that, it's also really good. So yeah, I think that thing Chrissy said about Mass Effect being complete. <clears throat> Origins feels more complete like, to me than any Bioware game. Like it's just f- full of stuff. It's very, defi- paints a very definitive picture of that world. You yeah. get mm. you, all, all the the scale of it. You get you get to you get to be part of all of it. Mm. Um, and the origins are all uh, well. Th- that offers a very interesting element in terms of shaping your character as well. Yeah, uh, and it's really slow burn as well. Like mm. things are significant because everything takes fucking forever. Mm. So you mean you sort of d- discover new things about how being a Grey Warden works or who characters actually are and so on it kind of comes slowly enough that <clears throat> it feels really meaningful where like it avoids something that I think by where I fell into subsequently maybe they backed away from it with Mass Effect 3 but they think they certainly fell into it with Mass Effect 2 which is like you kind of understanding what all the beats are going to be like Mass Effect 2 is brilliant but it has like every every companion has two halves of the story yeah. and you kind of have you know that it's very efficient in it, but also maybe a little bit formulaic. Whereas Dragon Age is sort of sprawling, and it all bleeds into each other, and it's yeah, it feels much more like yeah, like 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 it's been just left to ferment for a really long time. Mm. Yeah, a fine game, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, you can see next week where it appears on the list if it appears at all. Uh, it does appear on the list. I'm just not going to tell you where. Yeah. Um, but is it the only Dragon Age on the list? Who knows? Um, okay, cool. Uh, so, Tropico Four, Phil, is your final game on here? Yeah, that's that was my. Um, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna part the curtain here. That was my number fifteen pick, and the number fifteen pick tends to be a wild card. That means, what do I kind of want my personal pick to be this year? Yeah. What do I know? Won't probably won't make the list, but do I want to write about as a? It's it's kind of your position to say. This is a weird thing I like that I think is good, but probably isn't one of the canonical greatest games of all time. Yeah, and that's kind of where Tropico falls for me. Like it's because you'd sort of say, "I'll oh, play City, um, City Skylines now." Right? If you want a city builder, that's the one to go for. But before that, there wasn't really that much choice, and and Tropico was big. Well, not big, but Tropico was around before even uh, EA's ill-fated SimCity um, <coughs> attempt. Ben Griffin likes it. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. He's entitled to opinions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's uh, a very kind of jovial, somewhat satirical, but kind of dumb satirical. It's not saying anything <clears throat> as satire. It's more parody that presents itself as political. So you kind of go, oh, that's satire. But it's bright, light, kind of fun city builder. It looks really nice. Um it, it's, it's attempts to be, um, yeah, jovial kind of sidestep what could be some quite harrowing situations as you build this kind of very poor third world Caribbean um, type country, this, this island republic. It's got some interesting political stuff it tries. Like, it's not so wide-ranging and deep that it's going to keep you playing for ages, but it's one of those rare city builders that lends itself very well to a mission structure uh, because they're quite <clears> small <throat> islands. Um, so when it kind of says to you, here's, here's, a, here's an area you need to complete this thing. Like in this one, you need to bolster up your industry or whatever. It works really well in that structure. It gets quite, um, if you're directed to a bit, it kind of shines in its kind in its building and stuff. Cool. Uh, Alright. You sound half convinced. Yeah, I'm kind of there. <laughs> it's a thing I like, but I don't 
like it so much that I feel the need to persuade people to really go out and try it. Yeah, I'll probably, ne- I'll really probably never play Steam it. Game. Like, yeah, I think I, I probably do own it from something or other, or at least a third one. They must have a big audience because they keep making them, don't they? But I, de- I, I, did, I, I don't know anyone that plays it. Audience, I think. You yeah. Know, like, uh, probably sells about half a million or something, you know, just keeps selling half a million. Yeah, you're the only person I know that's I played it really, that has talked about it, so... It, yeah. I remember when I used to work on an Xbox magazine, it felt like a game I had to freelance out every month to someone. <laughs> and it was a, it was like a Dynasty sell. Warriors. Yeah, we'll give you this for <laughs> fifty quid. Sure. Okay. Great. Thank you. It's one of those games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. No, it's it's, 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 a, it's a good choice for a personal it's, pick. Yeah, mine, it, mine is again it, on the same template, really. It's sort of good-looking, small-scale city builder, and um, released at a time when there weren't enough of that. For certainly the best one of them as well. If you can get one, get that one because it's it's kind <clears> of like. The perfect balance of stuff. I think five lent too much on certain systems and uh, attempts to try and rejuvenate the formula without really adding anything. Four is just huge and complete, and it's good. Cool. All right. Good stuff. Um, okay, Andy, your fifth choice is one that I know a lot of people put on their list, also in various positions. Mm. Is her story? Yeah. Uh, made by uh, Sam Barlow. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Sort of solo gig, apart from the um, actor. Who, who is in the FMV parts of it, mm. um, but he wrote it and I think he programmed it and everything himself, which is yeah. very impressive. Um, it was one of those great ones where you, <clears throat> I think you gave me it as a review and I didn't really know anything about it. And then going from not knowing anything about it to finishing it one night and going, this is like... Well, we were know, the first ones to review it, weren't we? <clears throat> yeah. Pretty much. And yeah. I, give it an, I give it 90 something. And I remember just that moment where I went, after you know, that feeling of discovery, like, oh, I've discovered a, a, an important game here, kind of mm. thing. Um, it's a it's, great detective game, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love you know detective fiction and murder mysteries and stuff like that. And this is a very unique slant on a mystery, as in you're kind of in a police archive searching through this archaic system for video files that have been split apart for no reason other than to make a game where you stitch together video <laughs> clips. It's a really <clears throat> inefficient police file. Yeah. I think it is set in um, Portsmouth Police Station. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm from Portsmouth and that sounds like something they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like this really like clunky uh, early Windows style interface and it, it, it has that great thing of I was playing it at, at night, you know, in, in the dark and I really felt like I was in a police basement in Portsmouth you know, like digging through an old computer that maybe someone, some like, um, you know, some officer has like pulled out of a cupboard and d- dusted the screen off and went, yeah, do what you want, you know, like that kind of thing of, and uncovering something that's been forgotten about. Um, and the sort of the, the thing of uh, the story, everyone that plays it, the story will play out differently. And, it'll, and that is a thing that only games can do, you know, where you, uh, you a version of how the, the, the route you took through those video clips will present the story the same essentially the same story but in a different way so mm. things are revealed might be revealed straight away for you playing it whereas uh depending on the keywords i use a thing that you will learn straight away i might learn you know a few hours down the line and that will have a different impact it will make you rethink previous clips you've uncovered so it's like a, a really bold experiment and like uh narrative in a game and it, that really pays off i think a lot of st- games get experimental with story and often feels quite forced or arbitrary whereas this feels like it came out of the system that told us that told a story in a really unique way yeah <clears throat> like i i, I realize when it um now that i i miss what it gave me as a game which mm. I, is something i didn't realize that games would ever give me <clears throat> which was that feeling of 
discovering information and feeling feeling like yeah. I'd earned it and feeling like I'd I got to the end of a great TV mystery drama mm. and like figured out the twist and it just made me yeah. you know gasp a little bit like um I mi- I missed that and I I don't yeah. I could I, we could be waiting for years for another game to give you some of that yeah. you know I, I had some good good moments as well as um where I I, I was uh, I was on my phone looking at Morse code translators mm. you know that I I assume you've, you know there's a bit where there's a clip where she's just tapping on the table and I, and uh, without you know I didn't read any guides or anything and it really felt satisfying that I figured out that she was tapping some out in Morse code yeah and that was like to figure that out myself was like really felt really it gave you that sort of uh, detective stumbling on a clue type feeling um I would have liked more stuff like on the computer like maybe old newspaper clippings or you know uh, files or emails and stuff to to read mm-hmm. um something like that that's something that could be done in the sequel i think to accompany the videos to be able to corroborate looking for newspaper reports and stuff like that but is, is there a fake game on that desktop there is yeah, yeah. there is yeah it's match is it that match it's like a match game or yeah. something yeah yeah, which to be fair is you know what my dad probably had on his PC in the mid nineties, you know, yeah. along with Mario is missing. The, I think the the um, woman he cast, Viva, Viva Seifert, Seifert mm. does a good job of uh, getting across the ambiguity of that character, and and that you know one minute you'll you'll uh, feel sympathy for her and like her, and another clip you'll you'll see a bit of darkness, a bit of something sinister in her, and then another one, she'll have a guitar <laughs> singing a song. Oh, she's you, amazing as well. Yeah, yeah. And you'll be... And that's, that's that's really cool to make you uh, question yourself uh, of the opinion you form of this character based on the, the limited fragments of the story you've heard. Then you'll hear another part of it and, and feel something else. It's just... What, what an amazing thing. Great aesthetic as well of the sort of CRT screen where the... Um, you almost feel like you want to degoss it. It's got that sort of like fuzziness to it. It's, it looks brilliant. Yeah, and the, like the uh, how the 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 reflection in the mm. computer gets brighter the further you get into it. Yeah, because of the police sirens going by. What a great game! What an amazing game! Amazing script, really. Because so that entire game hangs off the fact that every word in the script is carefully selected, mm. but it sounds natural. Yeah, like if you think about. I, my, it's genuinely mind blowing. Like the technical implementation is impressive, but fuck me, writing that. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't use a word too many times, else it will get obscured in this thing. Or yeah. you have to use a word so Loads. many times that it won't. That a really key thing won't be easily stumbled <clears> on. At the PC Gamer Weekend, I met one of our um, uh, dedicated uh, readers, uh, Gary. I think his name is Gary Birchall. Um, Gary Birchall, yeah, who uh, worked with um, Sam on the Legacy of Kane game that was uh, cancelled and mm. just described like. A one seemed to be reverent of how intelligent he is, like, mm. uh, and you just really see that. This is such a cleverly put together game. I never thought about how complicated it must have been to script. Actually, yeah, it's because uh, I mean, I mean, and presumably you could block it out with text and stuff <coughs> to make sure it all works. But once you get, you know, once, you, and also it's, it makes the acting more impressive as well because yeah. she's got to deliver like an incredibly naturalistic performance in a very unforgiving situation where the camera's just pointing directly at her and isn't going to move and isn't going to mm. give her the benefit of a cut or anything like that. Mm. And she has to make the script sound very natural and like it's being said in the police interview completely off the cuff. But every word needs... She can't go slightly off-piece. Like, you know, she can't change... She can't really improvise, can she? Yeah. Really improvise. She can't say anything ad hoc. So both of them, like, absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, because he had to, you know, direct that as well. He directed a sort of mini... Uh, I don't know, a short film yeah. as well. Like, that's... I like how he recorded it on. Um, he passed the video through uh, VHS um, tape and back onto itself to give it like the authentic '90s grubby 
look, that was really that that attention to detail. Was you like that kind of thing, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise! I like the the grubby VHS aesthetic, but yeah. I might just buy a VHS player for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Just like that's what we'll, we'll all put some cash together and get you one. Yeah. I investigated this actually to for, for to make a video using a VHS thing, and then I found out that you can just um get a, a Premiere plugin that does it instantly. So you need, you need to bother Sam Baller. You could have just. Bought a plug-in yeah, for Premiere, but... Digital versus analogue, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> I think I unlocked the, the secret ending to her story when I was at the, the Golden Joysticks after-party last year, and I looked around from the bar to see Viva Cypher, who plays the main character in her story, but going temping bowling with Danny Wallace, <laughs> which, is the, which is the end. That was it. Like, that, that, all right, we're out. That's cool. I woke up in Cardiff that night anyway. Um, okay, great. So um, the final game I guess we'll talk about today is Rocket League. I don't have much to say on this because I've talked about it loads before. But um, I had to put this in my top 15 just from the amount of hours I can do it. Can you sum it up in Rocket League uh, e- automatic emotes? <laughs> oh, um, what a save. <laughs> Not Close really. one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you put, I mean, you kind of had to put Rocket League there, but do you currently love it or hate it? Where are you, where, where are you in your roller coaster I, right now? I currently love it because okay. I was basically about slightly below average at it for about a year, and that's where I was. And then the last two months, I've gotten very, very good at playing like doing on-the-wall kind of setups and defensive maneuvers. I, I can now angle it perfectly to do a, a like a killer cross from on-the-wall driving sideways um, and like flipping off the wall to make the ball bounce in certain directions. Nice. So I, that's a skill I've learned that's made it a lot... I've been a lot more enjoyable for me, but I still can't do any of the air rocket maneuvers. That, that's just so hard. And using the two camera settings, I can't figure out the best way of doing it. I think you can only do that if you put in... Like hundreds of hours of practice or something. If you like, you, if you're a teenager or whatever. <laughs> but um, I, I know I love it. I think I think it's amazing. The, the stuff they've added recently uh, doesn't have enormous value. Like um, Neo Tokyo looks amazing. And it feels like someone's trying to create like an Unreal Engine four portfolio in the form of a level because it's absolutely crammed with stuff that you never see from inside this football pitch but if you look around like they've built an entire cityscape <laughs> um, that looks like it could be part of an open world game. Um, and the Mad Max level, I don't like either. Um, they're just—it's not—they're not conducive for the classic Rocket League play. It needs the arenas that it came with. It came with at launch. I adore it. I think it's amazing. Like it's the most one of the most immediately satisfying online games. You're in a game out of matchmaking in moments, pretty much. Uh, I love it, and I just had to put it in the list. Um, so yes, that's uh, we've we've concluded our uh, what, what turned out to be an epic. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Um, well, it turns out talking about 20 games <laughs> yeah, takes I, a while. We probably could have foreseen that. I didn't like. think that through, really. But um, hopefully it's made for a nice long... Uh, if you're like stuck on a train, probably a southern train, and you're going from Brighton to, to London, play. yeah, <laughs> then uh, this will certainly help get you through. Uh, we do have a couple of really questions, but I'm going to skip those. Um, we'll save those we'll for save the next one. Yeah, um, <clears> but hopefully you've enjoyed this, and um, I'm sure we'll have some slightly less long-winded top 100 chatter uh, down the line as well maybe that, when the top 100 comes out there'll be some things to talk about yes <laughs> some mere culpas to be made yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we okay should, we should announce it in that way on the site with the banner we're sorry it's the pc game <laughs> <in> top 100. <laughs> apologies in advance yeah. a letter from the editor um yeah so uh that issue is out in the uk and uh can be bought digitally globally uh from uh next thursday the 28th um, it's uh, it's a really good issue. It's uh, got Deus Ex on the cover as well. Um, so there's plenty of stuff on that. I wrote a feature on Resident Evil Seven in there as well, which is really cool. Uh, what was reinstalled this month? What was it? 
Command and Conquer. Yes. Yes, I did it. It was Red Alert, Red Alert 2. <laughs> so you got some Red Alert 2 words in there as well. Really is quite a, a rammed issue. Um, very, very good. Uh, so yeah, look out for that. The US equivalent will be out I think like a week or so afterwards. It's not much of a gap these days. Mm-hmm. But um, that's all very exciting. And uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>